Everglades, Evolutions and Armies of Alligators oh, Welcome to Marvel vs. Marvel It's a podcast where a comedian who has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life Watches a Marvel movie or a Marvel TV show And then quizzes another comedian who is a veritable Marvel expert Hello and welcome to the amazing Spider-Man episode of Marvel vs. Marvel. I am Rob Holden, I'm a comedian, I'm a writer, I'm also the Marvel expert part of the podcast. But this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, would be nothing if it was just me babbling on my own. need a little bit of uh, spice in my life, need a little bit of ignorance in my life. Uh, And who better than the man who's powered purely and solely by ignorance... He's making his grand return after a festive break. It's Will Preston. The ignorant spice shall flow. <laughs> Do you think, like that, many thousands of years ago, that, that that nations and empires traded on that most exclusive of all delicacies—not spice, but ignorance? Oh, yeah, no, I was thinking more of a June kind of thing, where I'm the uh, uh, the the dummy Jesuit, if you will. That. Whoosh. I tried to watch the old one um, <laughs> okay, don't about it. five times in my life, yeah. and I've fallen asleep every single time. The new um, one's fantastic, uh, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise. But is it worth risking a viral infection? Because <laughs> well, yeah. that is the new level of movies. They have to be better than... <laughs> they have to be worth you catching omicron okay have you seen the new spider-man film yet nope then don't bother then because it's like if, you, if you're not risking a viral infection for spider-man no, I, I i i was but then we had christmas and uh, my family took a dim view of me uh potentially after my booster kicked in i was like i'm gonna go see the new spider-man movie and then my f- whole family was like the week before christmas really i was like oh no yeah that's a selfish thing to do that, i'm that gonna is, you, stay inside the house are you gonna see it soon though uh yes i hopefully in the within the next couple of days yes. unfortunately now it's no longer at um times when kids won't go and uh, it's a whole thing i don't want to have any kids near me um which is very difficult to organize now that it's only showing after the schools close we'll see what we can do yeah, indeed. It's this amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> We're back, everybody. <laughs> hey! Sorry. What happened there is we just got caught up in a bit of chat um, because we haven't really uh, seen each other for a little bit. Um, uh, welcome back. Thank you ever so much for sticking with us um, in 2021. We are so excited for the things we're going to do this year. Coming up on the show, the most important era in the history of Spider-Man comics, the yassification of Peter Parker, the mystery <laughs> of the Peter, of Peter Parker's parents, and which supervillain had them killed, the time that everyone became a big lizard, and we meet Peter Parker's only friend it's all still to come in this episode we're excited to be back aren't we will i am shaking with anticipation and mild fear (laughs) Um, it was really it's always great you know we love doing this but it is a lot of work so it's always great when we get a nice little break and yes christmas is the perfect time to do it um and we didn't leave you uh alone we left you with an unscripted show to carry you through but as as always happens when we when we kind of 
And there's a little break from our regular movie episode. Uh, what we what do we see? Will we see people joining that Patreon? They've got to get that good good over Christmas. They've got to get some full length, nice little episodes from us. And uh, so uh, that was always good to see. Speaking of things that are good to see. Well, Preston, are you back performing live? I am. I'm good to see and good to hear as well, I might add. Uh, yeah, I am back performing live. I have to admit, I was expecting January to be nothing but cancellations, so I haven't really promoted myself much because uh, I'm kind of still waiting for things to sort of go under because uh, one of the festivals in London got cancelled because of the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, but there's nine million lo- small festivals like that. One getting cancelled is nothing. Oh, I know, I know. But it, it felt like it was the start of a domino, if you know what I mean. Nah. It, it, it did. I was worried about the Leicester show there for a bit, but it seems to be okay now. <laughs> Very weird times. Anyway, you can see me. Uh, just trying to remember when this show goes out. This will go out... I'm very unprofessional. I'm very sorry. Oh, the little Christmas break has really rotted his brain, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, he's was... normally bang up on dates and times and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, are, you, are you all right? Are you sorted now, Will? Do you yes. know what you're advertising now? Tuesday the 18th, I'll be at Pearface Comedy at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Uh, on Wednesday the 19th of January, I'll be uh, emceeing Clean Select Comedy in West Hampstead. Uh, Thursday the 20th, I'll be at Laugh Tracks at the Tram Depot in Cambridge. Uh, on the Wednesday the 26th, I'll be again at Clean State Comedy at West Hampstead. And you can also see me uh, on the 27th at the Freedom Fridge at the Rosen Crown in Kentish Town. And we should all go follow you on Twitter to get kind of uh, more of those updates. And how do we do that, Will? You can find me at Will Preston. Tell you what, just type my name into Google. Uh, Ignore the soul singer that pops up in the searches as well. Don't (laughs) click on him. He will ruin my Googling. Uh, just, just, Just click on me when you see me. You know who I am. There's only one other person I found with a, with a, with an online presence of with my unique name H A L D E N yeah. Rob Halden, um, and that person has a double barrel name, <laughs> right? And his the second part of his double barrel surname is also an insult in this part of the world. So no. when you type Rob Halden into uh, Google, what often comes up is Rob Holden Pratt. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which I kind of part of me thinks he did it deliberately. He's like he's someone I've wronged when I, you know, like when I when I used to run bubs for a while. I was, perhaps he was someone I kicked out for being too drunk. The universe like, I'll get my revenge. The universe hates you. The universe absolutely hates you, and will do anything it can just to get a jibe in there. And that's not the only places you can see Will Preston live because we are careering faster and faster towards <laughs> Marvel versus Marvel, the live podcast. It is coming. To the Leicester Comedy Festival. Sunday the 6th of February. Sunday the 6th of Feb. It's a 2pm afternoon show. We're at the Attenborough Arts Centre. Who have been greatly supportive of us bringing this show there. It is going to be a live show. Me and Will. We are going to tackle for the very first time. The Disney Plus Marvel What If series. We're going to look at the episode. Where the Avengers never happened. And we're going to. Talk about the the long-standing what-if comic books and the alternate realities, the multiverse of Marvel. You can see us live, just five English pounds. Tickets have already started to sell. We've already had some uh, very close followers get in touch and say, hey, we're coming, we're coming, we're coming, which is going to be very, very cool. It is the day after Will's show. Um, 
the the Edinburgh, the Leicester Arts Festival. Uh, I've messed that up. Not the not the Leicester Arts Festival, the Leicester Comedy Festival. Um, so you can go and see Will on Saturday night. Um, I'm going to be there, and some other people are going to be there, and then. The following day, you can have a nice leisurely brunch and then come see us at 2pm at the Attenborough Arts Centre. Uh, head to our Twitter, at Marvel Versus. The pinned tweet is the link to the website where you can get all your tickets, find out all the info, book yourselves some places. Just £5, we're practically giving it away. Don't you miss it. Join me now for a our first trip of 2020, no, 2022, uh, a trip into the murky mind of a muggle. Will Preston, if you don't know the format, folks, we said at the top of the show, has never read a Marvel comic book before in his life. Now, me and Will, we're both geeks and nerds, whatever that word means anymore in the modern world, but we came to realise before we started this show, we're on opposite ends of the of the nerd spectrum. Mm. Um, I haven't touched my PlayStation 4 in over a year, <laughs> and uh, Will has never read a, 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 a Marvel comic. And I have to, because I was taught to read with them, there are blind spots I have. I'll mention in passing conversation to a regular normal human, something like Doctor Doom, and they'll often go, huh, who? And I'll go, how do you, don't wait, don't we all grow up knowing about Doctor <laughs> Doom and his Doom bots and his castle in Latvia and his gypsy mother and his, and do we not? Um, I, I, I so often forget that that what is second nature to me is not second nature to everyone, which is why Will is here with his muggly mind. And this is the bit where we peek, we peek into the world of someone who's never read a Marvel comic and see what they knew. Now we can't really deal with Spider Man. We know that Will knew about Spider Man sort of forever, really. Yeah, I mean, he's been ubiquitous as ubiquitous as Batman, and there is no way I can go and read the comics, not even for New Year, New Me, New Year, New Me. I'm going to read the Marvel comics despite your protests. Well, you can't do that. The podcast will have to end. <laughs> Did you hear what I just said? I said New Year, New Me. That's the that's the that's the. So motto. your New Year's resolution is to end the podcast. New Year, New Me. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Then. Yeah, this is the thing. It we discussed it before uh, several times. He's ubiquitous. You know my origin story about Spider-Man. <laughs> it's just refresh my memory because although we've done um, like four episodes on him so far, I, everyone at home, memory. everyone at home listening to this is now shouting at you for forgetting the official Preston law regarding Spider-Man. <laughs> the, con- the continuity of the con- Will Preston <laughs> and spider Yeah, I, I I always knew about Spider-Man. Uh, I, I I remember having a toy Spider-Man motorcycle. I re- uh, I remember. Well, I, actually, I saw an old thing that made me laugh hysterically as a child. Remember Kenny Everett? Of course, yeah. There's a little the bit... best possible taste. The best possible... T- he's, still, he's still hilarious. Watch one of his old bits where he's Spider-Man, and he's running down the side of the building, and then he goes inside the building, and he's like... he basically, he's, he's, But the whole time, he's gripping his crotch because he needs the toilet. And then when he gets to the toilet, I remember that sketch. He doesn't know where his flies got are. No way, no way, getting in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no way. And it's basically he's implying it's gone down his leg. It's just I remember seeing that, and I couldn't stop laughing. So of course the the um, yeah, like you said, he's always been he's always been there, even for someone who's never read a comic book before. Yeah, but but the things really exploded with two thousand two or one is it? I can't remember which one it is. With with the, the, the Sam Raimi movie, uh, the original trilogy as they are now known, um coming out 
and really exposing so many millions of more people to to Spider-Man or or engaging with it in a, in a way where you don't just go, oh yeah, I know what he looks like. I, I've seen him at toys and maybe I had a toy when I was a kid or I've seen a toy or I've seen a poster or whatever. Like I know about him, but I've never like watched or, or followed a story. The whole world changed with those three movies. Absolutely. When you when you heard that the, well saw the trailers for the new, this new movie, the Amazing Spider Man, different director, different different Spider Man. <laughs> what were your thoughts and feelings then? Uh, you know, not not tied to a comic book. What? How did you feel about things? I think I speak for everybody when I went. Really? This soon? Five yeah. years since the last Spider Man film. We're getting a reboot, and I I I've never seen such a quick turnaround with a franchise hitting the reset button before. That it made I, I had no desire to see it. I went. There is nothing new here. That obviously speaking as a as a little muggle, a wee muggle here. I I just thought no. This is this is too soon, and I don't know. I I, I just felt. At the time, I mean, I wasn't massively into Spider-Man. I felt we've kind of moved past it. We've got Iron Man, we've got Batman, we've got all this stuff happening, and we've already done Spider-Man. What, 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 what place does Spider-Man have in the world of 2012? Oh, so you really Ten felt years that, ago. You really felt that that actually that whole story had been told, and uh, and it was like, why are we still doing him? We got three films. In the la- in ten in the ten years before this film, we got three films. With the last one being jam packed full of villains. Granted, I know there's endless villains for each comic book character. Yada yeah, la 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 la. But I just it, it, it's just so too soon. It is too soon. And for me, for what I saw, nothing new was being done. Maybe there's a new villain, but it'll still be the origin story over again. That's what I looked at and went, no, I'm done. No. Yeah, no, I mean, please. I, I no. certainly felt that second part of that. I, I, I don't, I don't tend to feel because, I, because to me, all these stories are forever continuous and ongoing and mm. will never stop, and I don't want them to stop. Really, um, I'm, I guess, I'm perhaps more used to different interpretations and different um, presentations of the characters yeah. and stories carrying on. What really kind of, I don't know, got me down and killed my enthusiasm was the idea that it's going to be an origin story again. Yeah, like, uh, origin stories are, are are kind of the least interesting part of of any um, superhero character, really. To me, is you know, someone just wants things to because I, I guess because I know it, I'm like, yeah, 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 get to the bit where he's fighting people, and I just couldn't, and and it had been done so well. So well, we'd seen his first steps and everything, and and so the trailer had in it. We're gonna have to see him in high school again. Yeah, we're gonna have to see him be awkward with people again. We're gonna have to see him learn to use his powers again. There are scenes in this movie that are direct. I mean, we'll get to him when we get to him, but I I can't scenes that only existed in the first movie. And now they're like, well, we got to do the scene where he does this, this, and this because um, we're telling the same story. It was just, I, I was, I was, my excitement was dulled before this movie came out. Anyway, incredibly, incredibly dulled, and I did eventually uh, cave in and see it, but only because <clears throat> I was on a transatlantic flight to the states or from the states, uh... and I had each each way I had enough time to fit in four movies. And that was the and that was that was the only time I, I ever actually saw it. 
I, I went that. I went to the cinema with my best friend to see it, and oh. we both kind of were. Anyway, I'll get, I'll, um, I'll give you my we'll, full we'll, rundown at the end, but please hear, do. We'll step ever. into it as we go through the film. As I there's slap, a lot to slap unpack. you with my thoughts. I'll slap you with my thoughts like a like a very uh, feisty Professor X slapping you with his thoughts. <laughs> okay, speaking <laughs> of being slapped with thoughts, Will, what thoughts do you have on the uh, the production? Uh, side of this movie uh, make sense of the dollars and cents take us through what we need to know about the movie being made before we get on to uh, behind the page and, and kick the film off well as you know I, I am a shameful capitalist so the first thing I'm going to be doing is running you through the production notes but not only that I'm going to remind you bring you up to speed previously on Marvel vs Marvel going to tell you what the previous Spider-Man films made just so you get an idea of this film's success okay in 2002 we had Spider-Man with a budget of a $139 million. Box office, $825 million. Unspeakable at the time. Unspeakable. Insane amount of money at the time. This is insane. Absolutely unspeakable. Uh, Spider-Man 2, 2004. Budget, $200 million. Slightly less box office, $789 million. Still a success. Spider-Man 3 in 2007, 258 to $350 million. Eight hundred and ninety-five million on the box office. So wait, similar- wait, wait. That budget is a hundred million dollars out. That budget there's a discrepancy of a hundred million dollars. Okay, I don't know. Uh, we, we we spoke about it last yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. I think you so might. So what have- I what I what I'd assume from that mm. is that generally speaking, I imagine the what you call the distribution, the advertising, yep. the promotion, sending the actors out to to perform everywhere and, and do all the interviews and all of that, the posters, the trailers. That is probably a hundred million. So mm. I would imagine the budget on that movie is two five eight. Two five. So, 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 whenever, yeah. whenever I look at the budget and it gives two figures or a range, shall I just read the lower range and we can call it a day? Well, because sometimes they actually give you an estimate, yeah. and it's it, and it's and it's like if that, yeah. if that was two five eight to two seventy, then that's yeah. someone saying, oh, it's in this region. Which is, but when it's a hundred, pretty much a hundred million out, yeah. that to me suggests that hundred million is is probably the distribution, the the, the promoting the the, the 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 promoting the marketing of it. Yeah. How can you make sense of the dollar and cents where the dollar and cents don't make sense? Don't make sense. <laughs> Get that on a t-shirt um, right away. <laughs> I mean, what a what a. I know they spent more money, but Spider Man Three coming in hard with yeah. that eight nine five. Oosh. I mean, it's not exactly the same percentage boost the first one, but it's still good. No, no. It, 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 it's, it's it's amazing for a third. They're meant to go down. I mean, that, yeah. again, remember, we're not. This is not in the era. This was this was some of the first films to do this. Yeah. This is not in the era of the Fast and the Furious or indeed the MCU, where sequels make more money and people get more kind of. Um, affection and, and, and loyalty and become a fan of a franchise that isn't the case it, you know the, the rule was when you make robocop 2 you're gonna make less money yeah you just are do, do, um, do you know what i found because everyone knows that i'm a huge fan of resident evil and yes last night i did see the new film and it's not good uh <laughs> but like worse than the than the old ones okay there were six resident evil films and they all got worse as they went along but man the money went up I don't know what it is about franchising films. Taking. Fran- franchising is amazing. It's, <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's it's interesting. Like you can't fail with film franchising. Anyway, the last bit of dollar and cents to make sense is indeed The Amazing Spider-Man, 2012. 
budget, 200 to 230 million dollars. Box office, 758 million. It made less than the uh, than all three films, yet cost roughly the same to make. It's the lowest yeah. taking. Yeah, I mean, it's not to the extent that you you would never say this was a this was not a failure whatsoever. This is a success, fact, but comparatively, it's a big success. And in fact, having taken such a big risk of recasting, rejigging, rebooting, and kind of saying, um, to me, reboots are like a, seem like a generational thing. Yep. Like, yep, yep, yep. Oh, the last generation is gone. Make it just do the story again because they've you know. The people going to the cinema now yeah. aren't the same people. And Maybe they, they, they know that their uncles or their dads liked it. This is five years. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, th- that's of course, of course, uh, that's not just the reason. Obviously, it's not because of uh, retaining the rights as they tend to do. Oh well, yeah, yeah, that, that is that is a reason. But, a, but the reboot it didn't need to be a reboot. And this is what I couldn't get into. As you know, perhaps you've, you've got some notes, which will hopefully help me understand. Going into this, it was in my mind. I just assumed the Amazing Spider-Man. They're just going to recast Tobey Maguire's role, and and uh, maybe 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 we keep J. Jonah Jameson. But I I I knew like Gwen Stacy was going to be in it. it. Was like that's fine. She's like the next girlfriend, sort of. Yeah, that makes sense. I, but I thought we were just going to recast, and we were going to have he'd be roughly the same age because age, you know, time and age doesn't really matter. But it would be the same. I'm not saying that they would have talked about, hey, remember what happened to you when the Green Goblin attacked? They wouldn't perhaps say that, but you would just recast and then carry on. Yeah, Um, I mean, they do it for a lot of sequels. I've seen so many sequels, they just recast and carry on. Not always great. I mean, this is before franchising, obviously. So it was a big, big risk to roll the dice Mm -hmm. and do a reboot to have walked out of it with... I mean, that's a bit. It's just a big success, isn't it? It just yeah, really is a yeah. big success. But we got. I got some interesting facts about what happened because obviously you're really frothing at the mouth here to to dig your teeth into what happened. I, I, because we all love Sam Raimi, and we, we like why why didn't it continue? Because I I I'm fairly certain I heard he was attacked. He was meant to make another one, but so I but 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 obviously that never happened. I, I think I speak for everybody when we wish uh, Sam Raimi a very welcome return to the MCU. Oh, yes, of course, Multiverse of Madness coming Multiver- soon. Yep, I can't wait for that. That's going to be fantastic. But I'm really curious as to how much of Sam Raimi's auteurship makes it through the uh, makes it through into the film, considering uh, how, how M- the MCU works. Anyway, so the director for this wasn't uh, Sam Raimi, but it's worth mentioning. The director's name, uh, and brace yourself, is, co- is Mark... Web. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Was that I an mean, omen? Did the producers see that? Go, this is an omen. He will be a great director for Spider Man because he'd name. not done much, had he? No, very inexperienced director at that point. Uh, I think he, the, the film he did before this was like a romantic comedy or something. Or an yeah, he did one movie and it was a rom com. It was a rom com. Yeah. Uh, the other directors who were considered to direct the film, and I'm really amazed at this were James Cameron, David Fincher, Wes no. Anderson, and Catherine no, Bigelow. No, 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 no. Can no. you imagine I, any of them I, doing I, it? I do not believe... So James Cameron was attached before Sam Raimi. See, I can imagine James Back Cameron Back in the 90s, James Cameron, yeah. after Titanic, yeah. he was attached. I do not believe 
Uh, you know, all this considered stuff is nonsense. Maybe hey. there was a list. Maybe someone at the production company write in a list of the top 15 most famous directors, and maybe that's what they mean by attached. There's no way they wanted Wes Anderson or David Fincher to make this movie. Catherine Bigelow, I can see. Yeah, Catherine Bigelow, definitely. Wes Anderson, everything would be symmetrical, and Spider-Man would wear a woolen jumper. David Fincher, everything takes place at 5 a.m. and everybody's depressed. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so basically, uh, let's get into the get get into a bit of the uh, bit of the background before we go through the other facts. So, development of this film began with the cancellation of Spider-Man Four in 2010. After the supervillain uh, stuffed film Spider-Man Three, Raimi later talks about it uh, talks about what happened in 2015. He said, "It's a movie that just didn't work very well." I tried to make it work, but I didn't believe in all the characters, so that couldn't be hidden from the people who from people who love Spider-Man. If the director doesn't love something, it's wrong of them to make it when so many people love it. I think raising the stakes after Spider-Man 2 was the thinking going into it, and I think that's what doomed us. I should have just stuck with the characters and the relationships and progressed them to the next step and not tried to top the bar. Which is difficult. We talked about this. Yeah. Sorry, carry on. I was about to say, which is difficult because sequels are all about raising the bar, aren't they? It's with action movies anyway. I guess so. Sam Raimi would wouldn't have would Sam Raimi was raising the emotional stakes. I would Ooh, say. Okay. So I, I I just remembered. If I mean, listen, we've got an archive, guys. Go and pull Spider Man Three out of the archives. We talk about this. We talk about what his original intent with with Spider Man Three was. Um, he didn't want to do Venom. He wanted to do Sandman. He wanted to make. He wanted to kind of tie the Uncle Ben story full circle and actually have a movie dealing with Uncle Ben's killer, um, be, being you know Flint Marco and, and all this kind of stuff. Um, and I remember us dealing digging into some of that at the mm. time and how it did decisively feel like two movies, kind of two plots, even cobbled together. Um, and he wanted to carry on the Norman Osborn, Harry Osborn thing, and Sandman would be the villain. But then in comes the studio with, we've got to yeah. have Venom. It's what ruined it. It's what ruined the film from being a, a really good finisher. But there we go. Third film, I mean, sequels aren't usually that great, usually. You know, they, they, they never usually beat the first film. And third films, even more so. We said when we watched it, though, yeah. like the first time we seen it in a long time it was way better than we remembered and there was loads to love about it i yeah i, I agree i i've had so many conversations about it and some people even say number they didn't even like number two or any of the spider uh, Raimi films and i had to really put my foot down and say hey i get it i thought he was whiny as well i thought toby Maguire was a whiny man when he played spider-man but then again you realize that's who he's supposed to be he actually gets I, it down. i never got i never got that from people i think i think these i are, used to think it Years I think ago. these are young people. I don't get it. What yeah, are you talking about? I've had, I've, I've had to really uh, like evangelize, evangelize or whatever you say. Like I had to really say, hey, you know, I I know the I know the way. You got to watch these films again until you until you like them. That's how I recommend things to people. I <laughs> you will keep watching it till you like it. Anyway, so Raimi after Spider Man three wanted to set things straight with Spider Man four. The entire core cast was set to return, but this time around. Raimi was intent on finally bringing to the screen a Spider-Man villain close to his heart, Vulture. I never understood why it was close to his heart. Just means he likes the character a lot. 
Oh, I, th- I thought there meant a lot more to it. Doesn't mean he's a man who has got wings and can fly. That's not what it's saying. Sam Raimi is not a man who can fly. I just never. I Vulture was a villain from what I saw. Just didn't. I don't, don't get it. Anyway, Ra- Raimi considered Vulture for Spider-Man Three with Ben Kingsley in the role, but ultimately cut the character. But for Spider-Man Four, he wanted to bring back this character, but have him played by John Malkovich. That would have been incredible. Yeah. That would have been incredible. I mean, John. I mean, you stick John Malkovich in just uh, almost any role. You've but all those in... roles where he's played a psycho. Yeah. Ah. Oh. Yeah, that's that's a tearjerker. Losing that is a tearjerker. Yeah, I'm just try- so I'm just trying to imagine it. Sometimes I try to attempt the John Malkovich impression. You know, the the voice that kind that kind of oh. low, soft voice. When he's being angry for some reason. So as the script developed, Raimi also threw Felicia Hardy into the mix with Anne Hathaway in the role. Though instead of becoming Black Cat, the uh, the character would become the villain Vulture-S in the film. Did did Raimi like owe a blood debt to someone and had to like he lose a bet that meant he had to somehow involve the Vulture in a movie? And when he couldn't do the Vulture, he was like, "We'll do the Vulture-S, and it'll be Black Cat." I don't know. Maybe he was trying something new. Maybe maybe it fitted into his narrative. He had a narrative going. So, But as work continued on Spider-Man 4, Raimi couldn't quite get the script right. He was continually unhappy with the story, and Sony wanted to bring the lizard into the fold, finally capitalising on Dylan Baker's role from the first three movies. Raimi was admittedly exhausted. That, that's making reference. Dylan Baker played Dr. Kirk Connors, yep, sorry, who yeah, appears in... Um, in uh, at least Spider-Man 2, I think. Well, I remember him in Spider-Man 2. He, I think he might have popped up in the other two as well, but I remember I don't re-watching... Think, cause he, no, because he's a college professor. I don't think he's in 1. Ah, uh, okay. Um, I think he definitely he is in 2 and 3, though, I think. Okay. Well, I remember re-watching 2 with my family, and when they said Do- Dr. Connors, I went, oh, my God, it's him, you know, because obviously where we've gone through mm. through them. But, yeah, uh, they wanted to capitalise uh, on, on that role, obviously. Uh, Raimi was admittedly exhausted. This was still only a year or so after Spider-Man three came out and the filmmaker hadn't made a non-spider-man movie since 2000's the gift and thus he and sony decided to part ways with the filmmaker describing the split thusly it really was the most amicable and undramatic of breakups it was simply that we had a deadline and i couldn't get the story to work on a level that i wanted it to work i was very unhappy with spider-man 3 and i wanted to make spider-man 4 to end on a very high note the best spider-man of them all but I couldn't get the script together in time due to my own failings. And I said to Sony, I don't want to make a movie that is less than great. So I think we shouldn't make this picture. Go ahead with your reboot, which you've been planning anyway. And Sony chairman, Amy Pascal, sorry, Sony co-chairman Amy Pascal said, thank you. Thank you for not wasting the studio's money. And I appreciate your candor. <laughs> so we left on the best of terms. Both of us trying to do the best thing for fans, the good name of Spider-Man and Sony Studios. Yeah, that sounds like he really he 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 didn't want to do any more of this, yeah. but he didn't want to let people down. But he but it well he he wanted to like you know kind of you're throwing uh, good money after bad or bad money after good. You you've made an investment, yeah, and it's not gone well, and you desperately want to redeem it and redeem yourself and all of that. Yeah, I know that feeling. I really know that feeling. It's it's, it's a very painful feeling. The curious thing, though, about all of this is that Sony seemed to be planning to cancel Spider-Man 4 for quite some time, as it turns out. like Mere hours 
After it was announced that Spider-Man 4 was scrapped uh, and the 2011 release date uh, was kaput, Sony revealed that James Vanderbilt, who penned the initial draft of Spider-Man 4, had already written a reboot called The Amazing Spider-Man and the film was coming out in 2012. That says to me they saw it coming. They saw Raimi's that, departure. No, that, that says to me that... Well, yeah, that says to me that they had... There was a contract with Raimi that they no longer wanted to honour. Okay. Because they'd had pushback from him over Spider-Man 3. I think... Yeah. I think this this tempestuous relationship in Spider-Man 3 with them saying add Venom and him saying no. Um I think then and I I have a feeling they wanted newer, younger, perhaps more attractive, you know, lead role and all that kind of stuff. I have a feeling that they just wanted to move on. Yeah. Yeah. Arid later explained. Sorry. Arid? Arid. Avi Arid. Uh yeah, Avi Arid, that's Avi what Arid. we need to let make sure we all know who we're talking about. Yeah, Avi Arid later explained, we were working on what we called Spider-Man 4, and it was the same team as with the first three films. The problem was we didn't have a story that was strong enough and warranted another movie. And Sam Raimi realised we didn't have a good enough reason to make another one. And between him and Toby and obviously a studio, we all went to it not feeling good about the next story. So yeah, that's uh, that, that's that's pretty much what happened with Spider-Man Four. I think as much as it would have been, I would have loved another Raimi uh, bite of the apple, and I would have loved to have seen you know Malkovich's Vulture and subbed in. I mean, you probably would have got a half-hearted effort. Yeah. I mean, that being said, maybe a half-hearted Sam Raimi film would have been better than a Mark Webb offering. <laughs> um, who knows? Who knows? Anyway, I'll move on to the Mark Webb offering. Uh, so, so some fun facts and fun, some production notes. Apparently during his breaks, uh, Andrew Garfield went around New York playing basketball with kids in his Spider-Man outfit because, you know, he's really fun. Uh, during, uh, during filming, this was interesting, Andrew Garfield requested that the song Pure Imagination from Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory be played when filming the otherwise silent scene in which Peter goes into the web harvesting room with the spiders. There we go. That's I read. The I, I read, process, I guess. Yeah, I read that, and when I watched it, I was sort of humming it in my head, and I went, "Yeah, I can see, I can see it working for this bit," because he's looking around everything at Wanda. Also, it was a creative decision by the filmmakers to have most of the stunts performed practically on rigs by actors and stuntmen, rather than extensively use CGI animation. That Not- really comes across in the movie, and yeah. that is a, a huge, huge positive I, I came away from it with yeah yeah big time mark webb explained they wanted to make the film more physical and thus more realistic while filming in new york the crew the crew built a whole rig hundreds of feet long over riverside drive in harlem and andy armstrong built a car rig with a series of wires to help with the vfx which required an incredible wealth of acrobatics oh also, uh, John Slattery, Sam Elliott, and Arlie Ernie were rumoured for the role of J. Jonah Jameson. However, this character, a legendary part of Spider-Man's mythos, does not appear in this film. Uh, for one last thing, this was also the final film to be scored by composer James Horner and released during his lifetime, three years before his death on June 22nd, 2015. And I have to say, the, the score is actually pretty good. I, I don't think the score fits Spider-Man at all. <laughs> yeah. At all. It fits it fits a sp- an espionage action thriller. It doesn't. It's weird though. Yeah. I mean I, I didn't I, 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 parts of the um the score in the original trilogy I didn't always felt really 
met, but then there is such a high level. Um, isn't it? Isn't it Danny Elfman in the, in the Dan, original trilogy? Danny Elfman, yeah. certainly with the original, the, the, the kind of the main theme song. Um, it's just uh, whether I thought it fit to begin with or not, and I thought, Danny, this is a little bit like Batman, isn't it? It just was so soaring and rousing and everything. Soaring, rousing, that, and he goes into whimsy every now and again. Danny Elfman yeah. loves this little bit of whimsy, doesn't he? I didn't think the Horner stuff worked really, especially at the start. Uh, anyway, yeah. I think it was good for for what it was, but you're right, it, it, it wasn't the best fit. With a major focus in The Amazing Spider-Man on Gwen Stacy and Captain George Stacy, this movie gives us a chance to take a look behind the behind the page uh, at a hugely important time in, in Spider-Man. We talked in our first Spider-Man movie about the creation of Spider-Man, Stanley and Steve Ditko, the artist who was there in the co-creation and would go on to kind of contribute a lot of story ideas and plots and stuff. Um, and and when he was creating Spider-Man, it was a very distinctive style, as we've talked about and looked into. Instead of like the square-jawed, muscular Greek Adonises that people were used to seeing in superhero comics, Spider-Man was this skinny gangly, you know, weirdo who they try to look, they try to make it look as weird as possible crawling up, up walls and things. And Ditko, outside of like superheroes, had this reputation for drawing the everyman and also ugly people. That was 100% his thing. <laughs> and, and, and certainly his drawings of Peter Parker and the other characters did not look like the gorgeous matinee idols of the day. Ditko's artwork w- was racked um in in his issues of spider-man with when well, in general it was but we certainly with spider-man racked with anxiety I mean, anxiety was a hugely important part of establishing pete as this mm. weird broke socially awkward kind of outcast who didn't have any friends at all in high school no friends whatsoever Oof. um but after a, a falling out with stan lee um in 1966 steve ditko Abrupt, rather abruptly leaves the Amazing Spider-Man after 38 issues. Um, communication between Stan and Steve had completely broken down. They were, they only communicated through notes and memos, and and his resignation was apparently just a letter that was left on his on his door, and off he went. Ditko's kind of a weird cat. He goes on to become a big recluse and a, almost a hermit-like figure, and he doesn't give interviews, and he's... Um, yeah, I we saw a about picture him. of him. He looked he looked like the kind of person to do that. Yeah, we talked about yeah. him in the Doctor Strange episode, and he's into kind of moral objectivism. There's no grey area in anything. If something is morally good or morally evil, and that's it. <laughs> um, Ditko is replaced as the Spider-Man artist by really, really important uh, Spider-Man artist, a Marvel guy in general called John Romita. John Romita would kind of come from almost nowhere to create, in time, the definitive look and presentation of Spider-Man. The one that, even if you've never read a copy of Spider-Man, for 30-odd years, the Spider-Man you thought of or had seen in your life was John Romita's. Um, John Romita was... uh, I mean, during the Second World War, he 
drew uh, re- recruitment posters for the army. Um, before that, he'd done a little bit of work for Timely Comics, which was mm. the kind of original company that went on to become Marvel. During the 50s, he worked for Atlas, which... So Marvel went from being Timely Comics to, after the war, it became Atlas Comics in the 50s and then became Marvel. Um, so he did some work for Atlas and for DC Comics, drawing um, a lot of Western comics, a lot of war comics, horror comics, and romance comics. Those were kind of the most popular at the time because superhero comics, aside from Superman and Batman, had really waned in popularity. And Marvel, of course, didn't exist yet. Romita was quite worn down during this period of time uh, and was about to quit comics altogether uh, due to the long, long hours, the the, the crap low pay of being a freelancer. Um, and he was actually talked into not leaving the industry by Stan Lee, who had, worked, who had been aware of his work um, before the war and during the war and stuff. Stan, after kind of like during a three, four hour lunch, talked him into uh, joining Marvel and becoming the artist on Daredevil. And together, with Stan writing and, and John drawing on Daredevil, they established a really good partnership, really good working relationship, which kind of made him then a natural fit to replace Steve Ditko because he was already working with Stan on another superhero comic together. And his work was really, really something fantastic and reliable as well, which Ditko might not have been. Um, I think it's important when talking about this movie and perhaps Andrew Garfield as a performer. Um, and we think, I, I must think of some of the criticisms that were levied at him at the time, especially online, uh, about how attractive he is and how <laughs> he's too pretty to be, you know, Spider Man. It's important to highlight that John Romita's Peter Parker, once Ditko left, was became, Peter Parker became a handsome, attractive Peter Parker. Mm. He was no longer this gangly skinny awkward high school kid with a giant bottle spectacles mm. Ramita's spider-man stopped being skinny and gangly of course same body and you know he had an athletic you know muscular to him and broad shoulders and he would instead of kind of like inching around corners and up and down walls to join a fight he would swing in you know he would burst onto the page on on a on a web line, almost like a swashbuckling kind of mm. hero from a you know an old classic movie. You know, a very dynamic look that he, that, that Spider Man hadn't really possessed before. And this Spider Man, the John Romita Spider Man, would become cemented in the public mind as the Spider Man, the definitive look for pretty much for for sort of two reasons. Not only was Romita drawing the Amazing Spider Man. But and he drew that from this sixty six well into the mid seventies. But from nineteen seventy seven to nineteen eighty, he drew the Amazing Spider Man newspaper comic strip, a daily comic strip that was syndicated and published all over the world that reached tens of millions of families and regular people who would never have ever brought a comic in their lives. You know, he was as as ubiquitous as Asterix and Obelix, Garfield. Mm. You know. And when they're seeing that, they're hey God the horrible. They're seeing John Romita's handsome Peter Parker and his kind of broader, more more dynamic Spider Man. Another big reason is that Romita became uh, what was called the art director of Marvel Comics in the seventies and in, well into the eighties. Now, the art director role at Marvel meant that whenever a company came to Marvel 
uh, wanted to license Spider-Man to use on a lunchbox or a toy or a poster or a birthday cake or the Thanksgiving Gay Parade with the giant, you know, balloons of popular characters that go down 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 the street in, in New York. Whenever anything like that came to Marvel, it was John Romita's artwork that was used. So for tens of millions of people who know of Spider-Man who have seen Spider-Man without ever really buying a comic, the Spider-Man that they're seeing on these lunchboxes, toys, posters, birthday cakes, is John Romita's Spider-Man, which is incredibly important and really, you know, makes it, even though Steve Ditko is the first, Romita becomes the Spider-Man artist. Um, This era in the comic books is, is... really important it introduces a lot of key elements to spider-man it it really highlighted the supporting cast in a, in a major way and the supporting cast of spider-man is is so important unlike kind of any other superhero spider-man is really defined by i guess his secret identity and his supporting cast this is the era where peter parker who had no friends in high school after 38 issues or whatever now he's in college and this is when he gets a girlfriend and a group of close friends and they hang out and this is where all the soap opera problems and entanglements that 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 that, that bring you know that brought into to these problems to to the life of Spider-Man you know this group of Gwen Stacy um Flash Thompson who becomes friends with Spider-Man mm. uh with Peter Parker sorry Harry Osborn Mary Jane Randy Robertson uh, these are this core gang of swinging hip 1960s kids who, you know, go to parties and stuff and drink coffee together at the local coffee spots. And having these entanglements really heightens the drama that, that centers around having a double life and trying to maintain a secret identity. And, and that aspect, the secret identity, is so crucial to the Spider-Man stories in a way that it absolutely isn't for most other heroes. Like, yes, Batman eventually gathers a large supporting cast. Commissioner Gordon and Alfred and Batgirl and Nightwing and a 300 different Robins. But <laughs> they're all Batman's supporting cast. They're not Bruce Wayne's supporting cast, right? Mm. They're virtually all crime fighters. And 99% of them know Batman's secret identity. We do not care for them in the same way that we care for Spider-Man supporting mm. cast. And the tension and, and, and drama, and melodrama, isn't the same. There's no soap opera element to it. Spider-Man supporting cast are all vulnerable people to any mobster or robber with a knife, right? Peter knows this, and so his secret identity is vital for him and vital to protecting the people around him. He's not Superman. He can't you know, he doesn't have bulletproof. He can't fly and be everywhere and melt knives and protect everyone in his life. He's he's really really at risk if his identity comes out. And we, as the reader, emotionally, you know, invested in the supporting yeah. cast in Spider Man in a really intense way. We we care about these people, and if some something hurts them or harms them, we care about what Peter cares about. Um, and 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 we see that. So you know, it's not a selfish motivation. It's not because he wants to be left alone. No. His secret identity is an, an extension of his care and love and affection for these people in his life, and that you know means that we have that affection. 
there's one incident um, where Peter's, well, I don't know why I'd say Peter, where Aunt May is deathly ill, which keeps happening. It's a common, it's a common like uh, plot point in, in the 60s. She's deathly ill, and the Sandman has escaped from jail, and he is publicly going around town looking for a rematch of Spider-Man to fight him. And he's saying he's going to kill him. Mm. And Spider-Man actually hides from the Sandman, literally cowers around a building, so that rather than fight him, because he's like, if I am killed now, there's no one to look after my aunt. Ooh, that hits, doesn't it? That there really are these, hits. yeah, the, pulling on these heartstrings that you don't get with Batman, Superman, Iron Man. Um, Spider-Man has dozens of these deadly enemies. And also, let's not forget an entire media set against him, running horrible stories about who he is. Um, he, the man on the street does not like him. So there's another aspect of even if no one comes to murder my aunt, if everyone knows I'm Spider-Man, well, everyone hates Spider-Man. I don't want everyone to hate me. Um, you can't even really trust the people close to him with his identity. You know, it's, there's kind of these emotional drama and emotional reasons for keeping the identity. It's not just people will you know know who I am. It, it's because it will affect people. Another really important aspect of Spider-Man which really kicks off in this era is Peter Parker's love life. It's it's not just Peter Parker who gets yassified by uh, <laughs> John Romita when his artwork kind of takes over. Mm. Like all the college kids seem to like grow into these young adults mm. and everyone gets attractive pretty much. Um and I don't mean I don't know how to this seems that seems like yeah, it's not exploitative. They just get drawn like they're 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 good looking kids, good looking young adults. Um, Ditko's during Steve Ditko's kind of time, Gwen Stacy is introduced. It's her first appearance when Ditko's drawing, but she was I don't know. She was constantly. She only ever saw Peter in the setting of a science classroom at the university. She's mm. constantly stuck in a drab lab coat. John Romita comes aboard, and Gwen gets her iconic and distinctive look—the mm. mini dress, the like knee-length boots—that's kind of introduced. Yeah. Her distinctive hairstyle, um, the fascinator that she always kind of wears in her hair, or it's a, or it's, an, it's a fascinator Alice band kind of deal. Always, what is a fascinator? Is it one of those fancy little hat things? It can be. You can also have a fascinator on, like an Alice band, like I just yeah. said, or a thing you put in your hair. Um, Ramita also introduces Mary Jane for the first time. So Mary Jane was like an unseen character for yeah. for for a while in the Ditko era. It was like a running joke. The, the reader had never seen Mary Jane's face. If she was drawn on the page, there'd be a plant pot or a lampshade covering her face, so you never saw her. And Ditko's <laughs> gag was that Mary Jane was meant to be this ugly troll that lived next door that Peter's Aunt May was always trying to set Peter up with. Peter had never seen her. He remembered her as an annoying little kid from when he was young. So he was always trying to dodge her so he wouldn't have to have this terrible date. John Romita comes aboard and he decides very quickly, that joke sucks. Yeah, it does. he introduces Mary Jane and Peter sees her for the first time. We see her for the first time. It obliterates that gag 
because Ramita makes MJ a stone-cold, red-headed fox. And then she becomes this party girl, which is really exciting. And so we we just get this vivaciousness to his personal life that he never had at high school. There was the angst and the drama and the, oh, I've got to do this, oh, I've got to do this. And there's still that, but also everything gets peppier when he's at college. With both Stan Lee and John Romita having spent years in the in the fifties and early sixties creating romance comics, they're both you know able to bring that element and that aspect, the trials and and tribulations of dating comes to the for, the forefront of of Peter's life, which heightens everything that's going on. Like not only the ups and downs of dating, but trying to date when you've got a second life, a secret a secret life, a secret that demands all of your time and that you can't tell someone about. You know, why are you three hours late? Why did you stand me up? I can't tell you it's because I was fighting Dr. Octopus. <laughs> all the, the dilemmas this creates for Peter Parker. And it all bubbles along in in this, which is just the, the most the most important error, I think, in, in the history of Spider-Man when Romita comes aboard. All due respect and love to Steve Ditko co-creating it and establishing all these incredible things with Stan Lee. But I think the thing that really endures and creates the Spider-Man and the Peter Parker that we know and, that we know and love is the love life, um, is the, the supporting cast and is these uh, the, the secret identity kind of mingling with the two things. Um and almost immediately, in this new college era, Peter Parker finds himself in the middle of a, a love triangle, kind of torn between who have to be the most important Spider-Man characters that aren't Spider-Man, Mary Jane and Gwen Stacy. We might have been away, but you guys have been keeping in touch, and we love to hear from you. Don't forget, you can always drop us a line, marvel versus marvel at gmail.com, or you can send us a tweet and a little bit of shorter love to at uh, marvel versus on Twitter. Will, what's in the mailbox? We got quite a few in the mailbox. We got Kazi912 who got in touch to say Kazi912. Was it That sounds like the 921st of the of the Kazis. The 912th <laughs> or whatever. 12th. Oh okay. 12th. 12th you idiot. Uh <laughs> The week in between Christmas and New Year is the dullest week of the year. If Christmas Day is the orgasm you've been building up for a month, then it's followed by a miserable week of lying in the wet patch. Oh, dear me. <laughs> what a way to start the letter section. Well, yeah, welcome back, everybody. <laughs> new year, new me. We're going to talk about sex. Uh, I couldn't handle all the boredom and leftovers, so I finally left. So I finally signed up for the Patreon. And holy beep! I've spent the... Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, because... You censored yourself. Well I done. censored, yeah. I, I don't want to have to go back and edit in a beep because that's just... No. Extra, why would I assign myself extra work? That's insane. That feels like now my new way to taunt you would be to just start swearing randomly to give you extra work. I'm not going to necessarily do it, but when you said you weren't going to do it there, yeah. the comedic instinct in me was to just say... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the actual good the a- the a- idea. Yeah, but you, you do realise if you start doing that to annoy me, I'll just start bleeping out random words that aren't swearing just to annoy you. <laughs> okay, fair enough. We'll put I, our weapons away. I I may have ignorance, but I have power. There we go. What what what's happening with the wet patch? What what was going on there? Anyway, 
He said, or she, as I know, I don't know, Kazi, is that? I don't know them, Will. I can't I, help Anyway, you. they said, I've spent the week listening to House of M, 1602, Young Avengers, Secret Wars, Superior Spider-Man, and the life story of Galactus. This is the best money I've ever spent. Say it again, Will. This is the best money I've ever spent. The best money. The best money. Can't wait for you guys to get back from your break and can't wait to see what bonus episodes you've got in store for 2022. Oh, stay tuned. Uh, stay tuned. We'll let you know very shortly. We will. Uh, Tina dropped us a line. That's five A's in <laughs> Tina. Uh, it's been fun going on a journey through Spider-Man and Man-Thing and the old X-Men cartoon, but boy, is it great to get back to the MCU. You guys finally got around to an episode on my favourite Marvel movie, aside from Infinity War and Endgame, Doctor Strange. I agree 100% with Will about how awesome this movie looks, how all the effects made it so different from all the other MCU and other superhero movies. And you guys did such an in-depth look at the history of the character and his sketchy racist origins. Was not expecting that. And then Hawkeye... Yeah, no, neither, neither was I. And I read them when I was a kid. I was kind of... Exp- well, I think subconsciously it's like expecting it because of the beard. Reminded me of Fu Man, Fu Man, you know, that kind of Manchu moustache. I was, I was thinking, yeah. oh, and the whole mystical element. I was thinking, this is going to get into that territory, isn't it? They continue. And then Hawkeye. The Hawkeye series was my favourite Marvel TV show of 2021. I love Kate Bishop. I love Yelena. I love Maya. I loved it all. It was so cool to hear how all these characters are related in the comic books. For me, these women are so much more interesting than Black, than the Black Widow and Wanda. Maybe because they're younger and they just kick so much ass. I I totally agree. I totally agree with with that. I mean, there were so many good characters in there, uh, and I uh, particularly Yelena. I I love her. Actually, all three of them were just fantastic. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And and we're gonna get a. Well, I'm assuming because we're getting an Echo TV series, which. Uh, which seems like it's going to be about Maya. So who knows what the future has in store, and especially Kate Bishop. Um, everyone was talking about Kate. So, yeah. And I do think there's something very different about these three compared to, like, the female characters like the Black Widow and, and Wanda. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, looking I'm, forward to more of that. It's making me have a lot more faith in, in Phase 4. I'll tell you that. I'm really mm. looking forward to see where it goes. Anyway, one more letter. Sam wrote to us in the new year. So my only resolution for the new year was to start doing the right thing. So I've obviously gone up a tier and I feel like a weight has been lifted off my shoulders. Can't- so just to explain that to everybody, mm. like Sam has been a wonderful supporter of us at the £10 tier for a while now. Getting all that bonus content that we offer. What he's saying here is that come the new year, he's gone from the £10 tier to the £20 tier. He's doubled his pledge. And what he gets for that, there's no extra bonus episodes beyond the £10 tier. We make that very clear. He's doing it because it's the right thing. He's doing it because it needs to be done. And we give him our most hearty thanks. Yes. Round of applause. Uh, yeah, let's hear more from uh from sam yep can't wait for the amazing spider-man episode i love both yes both the andrew garfield movie since they came out the chemistry between garfield and stone shines through into the characters 
and it makes the movies a lot more relatable. I'm really looking forward to the episode to hear your take on it. As always, thank you and keep it up. Thanks for writing in, Sam. Thank you for doing the right thing, for kicking it up a gear. I couldn't agree more about the chemistry between Garfield and Stone. Yeah. Um, I, I'm, and we'll get into it a little bit. I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about this movie and about them as the characters they play, but I would love to watch them two on screen together in, in lots of different things. I think they're fantastic. I love Emma Stone. Um, I like Andrew Garfield and all of that. I think their chemistry was really, really bang on. Um, drop us a line, Marvel versus Marvel at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch at Marvel versus the best way, however, to get in touch with us is by heading over to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Just like Sam did, just like Peter J, Thomas, uh, Zach Thomas and Mikey W. Those dudes are all doing the right thing. They've all stepped up when other people haven't. They've all said, yeah, I love I love listening to uh, 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 a bon- two bonus episodes a month, a full-length bonus episode, and I love listening to the obscure Marvel miniseries every month. I love all of that, but I want to give you something and get nothing back. That's what they've said. I want to support you even more. I want to double support you. I want to super support you. That's what Mikey W, Zach Thomas, Peter J and Sam have all done. The £10 tier gets you access to all the bonus bonus episodes that we've got. 30 plus bonus episodes up there. You can listen to us go into the full story on the Spider-Verse. Neil Gaiman's 1602. Kate Bishop's first appearance, The Young Avengers. And his classics, The Superior Spider-Man. House of M. You want to know about the new Avengers? Avengers Disassembled, The House of M. It's all back there. And then every month we drop Obscure Marvel, where I expose Will and all of you to the most ridiculous characters in the Marvel Universe. Obscure Marvel in the month of January, Will, we took a look at the Masked Matador. Oh, God, yes. Uh, one of your favourites, I think. Got to be one of your favourites, really. The thing, I don't know if it's one of my favourites, but it got a reaction out of me. Let's put it that way. It got a very strong reaction out of me. Uh, the Masked Matador, you can hear all about how a man with a cape fights a blind daredevil over on the uh, Obscure Marvel bonus episode. You get that just for giving us £3 a month. That's all you have to do. You support us for £3. You get access to Obscure Marvel each and every month as a thank you for being a part of something bigger than yourself. Of course, you can get bonus. You can get, sorry, early access to every episode. You can listen to us on a Friday, Saturday, and Sunday and not have to wait to the Monday. Um, and of course, then at the £10 level, you get the, uh, the full length bonus episodes that we drop every month. Well, we've got a big one in January, Will. We've got a big, a big one. one. A big one. Uh, I'm going to have to do a little bit of uh, pre-advertising here because it ties into the next episode. The next episode we're going to do is going to be Deadpool 2, mm. which, of course, features the mysterious time-traveling cable. Feels ripe to me, Will. Feels ripe to me that January, our full-length bonus episode, is going to be about the time-traveling history of cable it's not what you expect. It goes places you would not imagine. He is not just a mercenary. He is tied into the core of the Marvel Universe. 
for a number of reasons. Get ready for that one, folks. It is already it's a task for me putting it together, writing it, getting the timeline accurate, and all the changes. Um, the time traveling history of Cable is our full length bonus episode in the month of January. Um, we'll be dropping the next week or so, and it will tie directly into the next episode, which will be Deadpool two. So head on over to patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel and don't just consume contribute be a part of this podcast folks i don't think there's anything left for us to do really because we've uh, we've welcomed you back we have set the table in terms of the production of this movie we set the table in terms of this incredible error creatively in the comic books behind the page we've uh, listened to our incredible supporters and our, and our wonderful fans and listeners out there we've paid some bills taking care of the very important people at the top of the table talking about mikey w talking about zach thomas talking about peter j talking about sam who's just joined that top tier elite wrecking crew well will all that remains is for us to dive in to a character everyone is talking about right now, a movie that is on a lot of people's lips. It's The Amazing Spider-Man. Please, Will, press play. Pressing play. A very young Peter Parker is at home playing hide-and-seek with his dad. After looking all over for the house for him, Peter opens his father's study to see it in a mess and one of the windows broken open. Suddenly... His dad enters the room and quickly closes the door behind him before fishing out a secret document from his desk and erasing some research off a blackboard. That very night, the Parkers rush off to drop their son at Uncle Ben and Aunt May's house before saying their final goodbye. So already, this film uh, is a bit of a dark and gritty start uh, in comparison to every other Spider-Man film I've seen. It feels like they're doing that uh, dark and gritty thing that superhero films always do. I don't. I wouldn't. It doesn't seem particularly dark and gritty to me. Dark and gritty to me would be like The Punisher. Okay. Or like we'd start with the movie of Batman, like punching someone's teeth out or something. Um, but, but it's, it's sad. It's. I don't. I don't know what to. It's. Um, it's mysterious me, and sad. It's, it's mysterious. It's a little haunting, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. We've spoke a little bit about the parents before. Do we ever get to see Peter's parents in the comics? What happened to them? <clears throat> well, to begin with, nothing. I mean, Peter's introduced as... I mean, like most of our important fictional heroes, Peter Parker is an orphan when he's when he's first introduced to us. Mm. Um, I mean, don't just think of like Batman, but, but also uh, Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, yeah. Mowgli, Peter Pan, Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter. Having dead parents is, is, is part of our heroic mythology, d- dating back to... Like the folklores of Snow White and Aladdin, it goes hand in hand with creating an adventurous, heroic figure. Um, it's perhaps that they're all kind of famous stories retelling, like the, the biblical, you know, Moses, the orphan yeah. child cast out, who gains adoptive parental figures, a dazzling life uh, full of action and does great deeds and things it's kind of having no parents as the precursor to having no roots tying tying your character down so they can strike out and they can do an exciting thing without someone saying 
get back to bed. <laughs> um, you know, Harry Potter goes uh, to Hogwarts. Luke goes to Ms. Isley. Clark Kent goes to Metropolis. That's the journey, you know. Um, and there's been a lot written about kind of the symbolism of an orphaned hero and its connection to the you know, biblical stories, ancient myths and that. And, and and what it says about the human condition. But of course, Stan Lee, uh, as you'll know, really, he has no pretense to him when it comes to stuff like this. He has the final perfect word on all of this when asked why Peter Parker's parents were dead, why was he an orphan. Stan does not create uh, uh, allusions of biblical stories or allegories to ancient myths and folk stories. Stan shrugs and says, I just wanted a reason to get him out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> no BS, no pretense. As a storyteller for, for for an ongoing monthly comic, that's what you need—a reason yeah. for Peter Parker to have uh, way more agency and freedom than any other fifteen-year-old in nineteen sixties would have. Um, he has to, you know, uh, have kind of no parental finger telling him what to do. I also think it gives us another example of, of, of Spider-Man being this incredibly kind of unique and revolutionary figure. Um, because Spider-Man doesn't have his homestead. Sorry, he doesn't leave his homestead. He yeah. has his homestead. He doesn't get to be completely untangled from his roots and move somewhere new. He doesn't go to Moss Eisley or Metropolis or, or, or you know, Hogwarts. If anything, his ties to his Aunt May and the memory of Uncle Ben kind of like provide all these things that hinder his freedom. Um, albeit he does is still able to kind of get out the house at least. Oosh. So yeah, he doesn't have um, he doesn't have his parents to begin with. He's, he's we, we're not we don't have this. There's no in Amazing Fantasy 15, the first appearance of Spider Man. We don't have this as a precursor in the first issue of Spider Man issue one. If we retell his origin, we'd never have. And his parents went one night. We he's just he's brought to us as an orphan, and that's. That's it. There's no explanation given why in the in the early days. But as we progress, we will get a little bit more into what happened to his parents. Okay, back to the story. Years later, socially awkward teenager Peter Parker is attending high school and is a bit of a social outcast. A budding photographer, he takes pictures of Gwen Stacy, another student he has feelings for. He notices a chanting crowd around bully Flash Thompson as the huge student forces a smaller student's face into some food. When Peter refuses to take a photo of the scene and instead demands he puts the other kid down, Flash beats him up, leaving Peter writhing on the floor in pain. As Flash berates the rest of the crowd, Gwen Stacy steps in and subtly embarrasses Flash in front of everyone to get him to leave Peter alone. Uh, as we said before, Emma Stone... Bloody treasure. Uh, probably uh, one of the best things about this film, easily. Yeah. Yeah. It, she is. She is. I, I think Emma Stone is fantastic in every film she's in. Even when the film's ropey, I think she's brilliant in it. Um, and very funny and watchable and relatable and stuff. Um, I, I think I'm going to get something out of the way with this Andrew Garfield, Peter Parker now. Because <laughs> it took me ages to think about it and to kind of put it into words and contextualise it. Um, I think Andrew Garfield is a, is a good actor. Um, I don't think there's anything wrong with, with having an attractive Peter Parker. As discussed, it, you know, mm -hmm. it certainly does kind of become, you know, 
after 30 how many issues that becomes Peter Parker I think what my problem is is that Andrew Garfield is, could 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 be a very good and believable Peter Parker if he was playing a bit older he is whatever the costume and the style of the production and how he is dressed and styled and all of that hair and makeup and things it reeks of performative kind of geekdom it, yeah it, what this reads like is uh, is like what a what a third a mid 30 <laughs> like someone in their mid 30s who is um like a hollywood kind of elite person a cool person if they make this is what um, they think a geek. This is what a geek would look like on Gossip Girl yeah, or exactly. Pretty Little Liars or Riverdale. Like mm. it's not particularly Andrew Garfield's fault. It's like they are all of them. The socially awkward mannerisms to me do not work. Um, they, they not do not. That's, that's too. That's too strong of a statement. That's not true uh, I, i'm so distracted by everything else going on he does not he is not believable to me yeah as this um awkward geek social he just doesn't look like he fits the bill at all nope, i nope. it looks like someone at the cw network has gone what do geeks look like <laughs> oh let's get this male model <laughs> and mess his hair up a little bit and let's give him a skateboard a geek it just it fails for me now yeah. again i'm really trying not to i don't think that's I think necessarily the, skate, the skateboard does it for the me skateboard was else. a huge problem for me yeah. it was a huge problem huge for me problem. the hair everything about it you know but i don't want this to come across as like slagging off andrew garfield here's what i think i would have preferred or wanted i think andrew garfield and emma stone they they really could have played these roles as older college age kids yeah and 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 had him because that's when peter isn't a social outcast particularly anymore and he has as i said this great cast of like supporting cast of friends and he's socially adept and stuff and has girlfriends and all of that i think i would want to see andrew garfield playing a college aged and not having to do all this performative stuff that i just don't think works for him and how he looks so it's not that he's too attractive it's that pretty boy I don't know. It's like a bad MTV drama where they don't actually know what uh, an outcast or a geek is like anymore. Yeah. Like, compare him to any scene in Freaks and Geeks or... Oh, <laughs> God, absolutely. You know, I mean, the, freak, where, the, the geeks in Freaks and Geeks are proper geeks. Yeah. They they, they that, remind me of people I hang around with. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So that's just what I wanted to get out of the way. And it... And it it hurts this. It hurts this Peter Parker for me, big time. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, moving away from geeks and to the jock, we've got the fierce incarnation of Flash Thompson I've oh. ever seen. This guy is several <laughs> dark days away from committing a school shooting. He is awful, <laughs> awful guy. Uh, is Flash this much of an aggressive bully in the original stories? No, no, not really. I mean, mm. there's lots of name calling. Um, we were first introduced to Flash and you know Pete and the same kind of thing. And Pete's always trying to trying to in, in the first couple of issues trying to 
asking a girl out only for like a, a football player to swoop in yeah make the girl giddy and flash is always like beat it bookworm yeah. she's with a real man and a real man take over she's never gonna go out with you bookworm um and pete would fire back with things at him um i think it's quite what what is quite interesting for me having reread some of some of the early stuff in the last uh, month or so is that in his earliest appearances we learn i mean i think as an adult you can learn quite a lot from flash's language towards peter about flash mm. even though he's not given a lot of scenes so flash is always saying things like to pete like huh, i bet you think i'm too much of a dummy to read a book like that yeah. or um why even bother inviting puny parker to the party he'd rather read a book than hang out with us so that's the that coding of the language stan always gave flash this language that revealed why he was flash why he was doing this Mm. flash is deeply insecure i bet you think i'm i bet i'm telling you what i think you think of me i bet you think i'm too much of a dummy to read a book like this why are you rubbing your education in my face when I'm so insecure about mine? Yeah. Right? Uh, he's projecting all this onto Peter. You think I'm dumb. You think you're... And also, the, a, a common thing is, I bet you think you're too good to hang out with the likes of us. Don't why would, Don't even try and bother inviting puny Parker. He doesn't, he, he'd rather do, you know, do a science class than spend time with the likes of us. Us like, lads. Yeah, well, the whole the whole mixed gender gang, really, um, and so it's yeah, it's this kind of projecting onto onto. But but Stan paints doesn't. I mean, Pete's not blameless in the way that that Stan writes this. He paints um, this 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 picture really, whereby Peter is aloof and distant mm. to the other kids, and the other kids view that as being hostile. Why are you not just mucking around with us and being an idiot and doing, you know, why are you not just on our level? And Pete doesn't kind of make it easy. He doesn't try to get on their level, right? Yeah. And so Flash and the other kids, it's surprisingly nuanced. I was really taken aback by it, um, by by how you can pick apart that language. And maybe it's, you know, because I've got, I got you know nieces and nephews and stuff running around now, and you hear all sorts of different way things are said in the playground. Admittedly, they're you know under ten, but still you hear these things and you develop an ear for knowing kind of what a kid is saying when when they're not saying it. If that makes sense, yeah. So it's surprisingly nuanced considering Flash doesn't really get much time or dialogue on the page, and it's really interesting that by the time we get to this John Romita era of college. Flash and Pete become start to become friends, and it's almost as if, and he wouldn't have known this, but Stanley always intended for Flash to have that character arc, like because oh, looking at these, okay. it, it, it was not the case. But if you look at the way his language is, mm. you can read it and go, "Oh, this is just a guy that's full of insecurity, threatened by someone that's smart because he he isn't, and this, that, and the other." And, and if these two kids would just give each other an inch. Mm. they'd come together which sounded way hornier and, and uh, <laughs> double entendre than i meant to mean but yeah okay okay thanks very much for that so back to the story you're welcome that oh. was weird <laughs> i was thanking you on behalf of the listeners rob like oh, okay, a gentleman cool. that's what yeah. nice people do if you if you never mind um back to the story at home 
Peter hides his injuries from Aunt May and helps his Uncle Ben in the basement, who correctly guesses how Peter got his injury. While helping in the basement, Peter comes across his father's old leather briefcase. Showing it to his aunt and uncle, Peter opens it and takes out an old newspaper clipper of his dad with another scientist. Parker spends the rest of the evening going through the briefcase and finds his dad's old Oscorp pass, triggering a flashback with his dad telling him that there's something Peter's mum and dad have to do. Further searching reveals a hidden compartment in the case. Inside are secret files Peter's dad hid, hid, hid away when he was a child, detailing plans for a zero decay rate algorithm. Before Peter can search further, Uncle Ben knocks on his door and has a heart-to-heart -heart about Peter's missing parents. Ben explains that the other scientist in the photo was a man called Dr. Kirk Connors, who used to work with Peter's dad. So we've got Martin <coughs> Sheen and Sally Field playing mm. playing Uncle Ben and Aunt May. What great casting. What great casting. Uh I, I agree. Um, I, I must admit, uh, Rosemary Harris in the original trilogy. Oh, she was so good. Is the this is is will forever be the Aunt May to me. Absolutely. Um, but I think Martin Sheen is a fantastic Uncle Ben. He 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 he's great. He's 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 got he's got such a natural air about him. He's naturally funny, stern when he needs to be. Yeah. He 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 you kind you kind of you kind of like him you know as your own uncle, you you want him very much. Yeah, big time, big time. So in the comic books, is there any great mystery about Peter's dad and what he did for a living? Not for years. I mean, yeah, there is. Yeah, nineteen sixty eight, we get a story and a and a, and a Spider Man annual hmm. um, that comes out. Annuals uh, like a one off special that comes out every year. Some people might not know about that. It sounds obvious to me, but I don't know what people know when I say <laughs> annual. Um, so it's usually like a one-off, mm. bigger story that comes out once a year. Yeah. So in the 1968 Spider-Man annual, there's a short story called Peter Parker's Parents, which reveals the the background. Um, and there's something a little similar to this. Like uh, Peter's help, helping Aunt May move stuff around in the attic. Um, he, he, he breaks open his storage trunk and finds loads of things belonging to his parents, which he hasn't really thought about in a long time. And among them is a newspaper clipping that identifies Peter Parker's parents as traitors to America. Ooh. It's an American newspaper clipping, as they were Russian traitors, spies. Mortified, Pete questions Aunt May, who tells him that the last time she saw the parents alive and... and Uncle, she no wait. She doesn't know. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead. She doesn't know. <laughs> okay. Um, she doesn't know, but she she sort of tells him about they did have to run out in the middle of the night like this, um, and they left him with with her and Uncle Ben, and then they died and they adopted she adopted them. Pete is unable to kind of like get away from this idea of his parents being traitors. And he tries to learn the full story. So he goes to the Fantastic Four to get their help in getting kind of um, uh, travel passes and getting him basically mm. to the last place that his parents was reported seen alive in this newspaper clipping, Algeria. Okay. There he learns that his parents were supposedly spies working for the Red Skull. Aha, there we are. And he comes across their ID badges for the Red Skull's organisation. Yes, that's right. 
the Red Skull secret organization of spies and terrorists has uh, ID badges to get in and out of a building or something um, with their pictures and their names and I work for the Nazis. Spider-Man also stumbles across the Red Skull himself who is in country to organize a new plot to take over the world. Confusingly, this is not the Nazi Red Skull. Okay. This is 1968, right? So this Red Skull is the the second Red Skull that was introduced in the 50s, a Soviet communist Red Skull. Of course. Albert Malik. We dealt with this at some point. Uh, probably back in the first Avenger movie when we did that. Spider-Man um, clashes with uh, Reddy and his men and eventually learns from one of the henchmen uh, that Richard and Mary Parker were murdered by the Red Skull when they refused to do his evil bad guy bidding. So they turned against the Red Skull. Um, so Peter believes like his parents died heroes. He, he goes after the Red Skull again, defeats him in battle, and in the aftermath he finds um, that his father's Red Skull ID card had been cracked in the battle. And he underneath it, he finds I, uh, other ID cards that identify them as anti-espionage agents. <laughs> Proving to Peter that his parents were secret government operatives, double agents, all along. So this guy, the spy, <laughs> not only has he got an ID identifying him as a terrorist spy, but underneath <laughs> that, he keeps his actual ID identifying him as a double agent. He's got one of them on him. Um, so, yeah, he, he he basically is like, ah, vindicated, my parents were actually good spies. It sounds and they like didn't work for the Red School. Those IDs sound like the kind of thing that would have really helped Jason Bourne and nobody else. <laughs> like, he, he, come, he comes to yeah. from his amnesia and goes, who am I? Oh, it says here I'm a spy. Great, that's half of the movie done. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> So that's kind of that all wraps up. It's a short story in that in yeah. that annual, and then we don't really hear from them again. But then, and Will will know this mm. in the nineteen nineties, Peter Parker's parents come back from the dead slash are revealed to have never died in the first place. Ooh. We don't have time for that story here and now. Well, there's a whole episode about Peter Parker's parents on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We're prepared for every eventuality, guys. We're prepared. Please sign up. Back to the story. That evening, Pizza searches the internet for information on his father and Pizza? Pizza searches the internet? (laughs) What? What's wrong with that? That sounded very much like you said, that evening, Pizza searches the internet for information. (laughs) It was a domino sponsorship that I wasn't aware of. (laughs) No, no, we're not. Why Why would you do dominoes when Papa John's is clearly better? The garlic butter at Papa John's is the shizzle. It is. It's addictive, isn't it? It's sickeningly yeah. addictive. If you're gluten-free, never, ever bother having one of their gluten-free takeaway pizzas. They're awful. They just get a frozen base like we all do from a supermarket. It's terrible. Anyway, carry on. Anyway, he searches the internet for information on his father and Kirk Connors, who, as it turns out, is an employee of Oscorp. The next day... Pete visits Oscorp looking for Dr. Connors, bluffing his way in, into an internship interview, almost getting spotted by Gwen Stacy, who's also an intern of Dr. Connors. Harding in the intern group, Peter follows Gwen to the lab, where they're introduced 
by the one-armed scientist, sorry, introduced to the one-armed scientist, Dr. Kurt Connors. Kurt Connors' passion is to create a world without weakness. When asking the group how he is looking to achieve that, Peter Parker correctly guesses cross-species genetics, revealing him to Gwen Stacy, who covers for him immediately. After distracting the group with an automated presentation, Gwen grills Peter as to why he's here and lets him off with a warning. As Peter awkwardly steps back while Stacy leaves, he bumps into Oscorp executive Rajit Ratha, who accidentally drops a file, which Peter quickly notices to have the same symbol that he saw in his father's file. Picking his file back up and continuing on his way, Ratha is tailed through the building by Peter. So, I was I was actually... I don't know if, it's, if if you'd say it's a good performance, but I think Reese uh, Reese really holds a great air of presence here because I'm just used to him being that you know having a ninety swagger that he was known for. You know that whole like Welsh oasis sort of swagger. <laughs> Welsh type. oasis. No, I know what you mean. Like, yeah, yeah, kind of the Brit Brit pop style and Brit pop style. Yeah. I yeah I was I was um, actually I didn't remember thinking much of him when I first saw the movie, but watching it back, I. Um, I thought he was yeah he stood out a lot more to me and I thought he did a a pretty pretty good job really yeah especially well, in the more crazy scenes later on. I also forgot Ifan Khan's in this uh, who who I've seen quite a few films. Yeah, see, I didn't. I don't think he. I think we needed a, much more of a sinister person for this role, and I just don't think we got. And uh, maybe a lot of that's probably the script, and we don't really. I don't know. Which just, just didn't. The character didn't seem to work. I think he, probably, he does. What uh, was cor- Khan's fault? Cor- I think I think Khan does a does a good job with corporate sinister look. But you're probably right. Is the probably the script? I I thought mm. he, he 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 did it fine. Well, you know, from performing, maybe not what he said. So, Oscorp. We saw Oscorp in the Sam Raimi movies, obviously. Uh, do they actually tie in to Spider-Man's origin story like this? No, uh, no, no. no. <laughs> Normal Osborne wouldn't be introduced for quite a while. Um, even when the Green Goblin's first introduced, there's no Norman Osborne for a bit. Um, so, no. Um, and not in the regular... I mean, not in the regular Marvel Universe, anyway, not in the, in, in the 616. But this movie takes a huge amount from the the Spider-Man comic book reboot that they did in the year 2000. We've talked about it quite a lot when we talk about Spider-Man. I think this movie takes more than the Sam Raimi Spider-Man did. Mm. Um, and that reboot was called Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh, the year 2000, Marvel Comics decided, Ish, if, if people want to kind of read the origin of Spider-Man, they've got to go back to the sixties and the language is very dated and yeah. you know, it's really, it's really a harder read for, for, for modern sophisticated readers. So they created a brand new, uh, reboot of Spider-Man's origin set in a brand new kind of like world. So completely separate to all the Marvel continuity. This was like a brand new approach to doing Spider-Man. Um, it's, it's, it's my, Number one recommended read if you're a Spider-Man fan. It's brilliant. Um, And that reboot, Ultimate Spider-Man, first introduced the idea of tying Norman Osborn into the Green... and and, and the Green Goblin into Oscorp, into the origin of Spider-Man. So it's the first time that they introduced this idea that the science experiment that creates Peter Parker was meant to involve spiders. Because in the 616 universe... It's just a spider happens to kind of be involved. It's a very dirty workplace. Yeah, it's just um, a random dirty nuclear yeah. reactor or whatever it was. 
and that Peter's origin is tied into Norman Osborn getting Green Goblin powers. Also in the Ultimate Spider-Man um, reboot retelling, Norman Osborn is the businessman in charge of everything. The head scientist in charge of the project uh, is Otto Octavius. So <laughs> there's a lot of little leads into to, to, to stuff there. Um, but, but yeah, no, Oscorp does not appear for for quite some time really they they did uh not 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 to go off on a tangent just just quick mention as i said i watched the new resident evil film they did something like this with it because they combined the first two games into one film and somehow made it really boring and wasted everything they could have used and they see the two main characters from the first two games they just went oh yeah they're they were in an orphanage where one of the bad guys was was operating on the kids, and it's like, oh, that is such a oh, terrible bit of narrative. <laughs> there are some, there are some like for for um, economy of storytelling. There are some changes that that projects make that you go, oh, that's really smart. Oh, that really works. That makes sense. Yeah. And there are others where they just go, oh, that was that was literally just done because there's no other way of combining nine things into one thing. Yeah. Yeah, really what, is, what they should have done with those films is made one thing into nine things and actually had stuff happening instead of a lot of boredom. But anyway, mm. <laughs> back to the film. Uh, Peter follows Ratha to the BioCable development unit and mimics the password on the keypad to get inside without anyone noticing. Inside the advanced laboratory, Peter enters an ultraviolet chamber where hundreds of spiders have created a vast web around the rotating high-tech structure. Peter reaches out and touches a strand of webbing, causing the machine to stop, and dozens of spiders begin to drop onto him. Peter, repulsed, shakes the spiders off. Meanwhile, in Connor's office, Ratha presses Connor's for results on the decay rate algorithm. Connor says he needs more time, and Ratha impresses... um, Impressed with... Sorry. I've written down the notes wrong here, and I've tripped over myself. It... Ratha presses him about the urgency of the project, saying Norman Osborn is dying. Save him. We'll both lose our heads. Leaving the lab, Peter bumps into Gwen Stacy, who demands his badge from him. However, as Gwen leaves, a spider from the chamber crawls at Peter's neck without him knowing and bites him. First of all, that keypad is the weirdest keypad I've ever seen. Remind, I don't, I don't, it doesn't, it doesn't stand out in my mind. It was what, a, what, what are we talking it was about? A, it was a touchscreen pad, and you had like nodes and lines connecting each other, and you sort of had to move it. You know, when you lock your phone and you don't want to use the uh, like a numerical keypad, you can just swipe the pattern in. With the, oh with yeah, nodes. it was like that, but more advanced, and it was just like. Mate, just use a key card or just use a number. It was just, it was just so needless. It was the weirdest thing ever. Also, uh, I like that they replaced the irradiated spider with something a bit more modern. Obviously, yeah, you say that every time. I, I say it I every don't time. Think, I don't. I don't like. I don't think I like it. But I, I don't have a good reason other than. It's different. It's different. <laughs> Wee. I want things to be the same. Well, here's here's the here's my problem with with a lot of it. Yeah, is all this kind of um, desperate attempt to make things make realistic sense kills magic in in these stories for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
like we'll get to that when we go to the goddamn web shooters coming up. Do, do you um, remember like in Star Wars and they did the prequel trilogy and they said midichlorians? Well, there's that, but yeah. there's also. I mean, that's a that's a massive example. There's also small examples like, "Good Lord, save me from how many minutes and minutes are wasted in Batman Begins telling me how he builds a batarang or a costume or I." I, no, I, I like that. I don't know why we're doing this. This is admin. I didn't come to a Batman movie <laughs> to see admin. Just begin. Just begin as Batman. Begin. Get going. It's awful. No, I liked it. Dreary. You're, you're wrong. You're wrong. Uh, Mr. Mr. Wayne, uh, I think we need to contact six or seven different companies and order these things in bulk. Are you kidding me? That is a line <laughs> of dialogue in a Batman movie. And I'm supposed to be gripped. Let's cut on. No, you know, it explains how he keep retains cover. I don't care. <laughs> it's killing the magic. I should not have to go through all. I do not want to know all of this dull crap. I want him to have a wear a Batman suit and go out there and punch people and fight a dude who laughs. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> so back to Peter. Um... Is that that? This is how Peter gets his powers. He gets bitten by a spider. How different is it in this film, though, to the original story? How different? In the, in the original story, as we talked about, I think in Spider-Man, um, the first Spider-Man thing we did, uh, there's a school trip to a, a science exhibit with woefully bad health and safety guidelines. Um, they're not experimenting on spiders. They're doing these super dangerous 1960s radiation experiments and decide to invite... A bunch of children to come and watch, uh, and and as this you know electricity, uh, radiation, electricity is crackling around like a regular house spider, not genetically modified, not a special magic, you know, just a regular house spider, just gets irradiated, bites Peter, and then dies. Um, what struck me in in this telling is that in this movie, Peter is responsible for what happens to him. Yeah. He goes where he shouldn't. He ignores rules. He screws <laughs> with the experiment. He literally ping. He plucks a a strand yep. of this magic web or whatever it is. Um, and the, because he screws with the experiment, this bad thing happens to him. And in the comic books, um, both the Ultimate and the regular, you know, and and in the Sam Raimi movie, it, it happens to him by accident. You know, Peter is. You know, caught up in something. He's meant to be, you know, the the audience. We're all meant to associate with him. Yeah. Um. So his powering is, you know, the thing that happens to him is is meant to be. We meant to kind of watch it and go, oh, that can happen to us, rather than if I was investigating my mysteriously dead father's mysterious one armed <laughs> scientist friend, and I broke into a multinational science corporation, and I then broke into a lab room, and I started screwing with an experiment, that could happen to me. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's quite the same. I feel really stupid because that, 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 that didn't occur to me when I watched this scene. I just thought, oh, there's just a really curious teenager going into a laboratory. That's that's perfectly fine in this sort of film. Yeah, I, I don't you, know. But you're I mean, right, you're right, you're right. There is a, there's this weirdness in this movie of them constantly trying to not do things that Raimi did. Yeah. But they brush up against 
a lot of those things are very necessary for the Spider-Man story. It's like it's like they they're, they're trying to reach the same destination by taking a, a muddy path. They've gone like, oh, let's go off the road. We'll we'll take our own, sh-. and it's not a shortcut or another way. And they just come off a bit muddier. They've reached the and same lying year. about it as well. Lying <laughs> like, about trying it. to deceive you about that they're. Oh, we're not doing. No, no, no. We're not going. We're not taking the same route as last time. You know, you are. You're just in the dirt next to it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, anyway, so just a second. Back to the story. On the subway home, Peter is asleep on his on the seat, feeling the side effects of the spider's bite. When a mischievous commuter balances an open beer bottle on Parker's forehead. As one of the droplets of beer touches Peter's forehead, he suddenly wakes up and springs to the ceiling like a spider clinging to it. He cl- he, as he climbs down and tries to reassure the group of troublemakers on the train, his hand gets stuck to a woman's shirt and he accidentally rips her top off. Peter gets his hand stuck to the subway hand pole and as one of the passengers takes a swing at him, Peter's lightning fast reactions kick in and he fights off the gang of troublemakers with ease while constantly apologising to them. Peter is confused as to what is happening to him. So this seems quite quite uh, interesting, I found, because it's, uh, at the start it feels like a horror. When he jumps to the city, I, it felt like a horror movie. I, in what way? Like, you know, in those, in, in something like a horror, when someone's changing or something like being possessed, something horrible's happening, and they do that thing where, like, their head might spin around or they might talk with a voice and they spring to the ce- I think springing to the ceiling, like, in that kind of, kind of like thing, like a cat, I always associate with something like a horror movie. Right. What's happening here is yeah. you're reacting to uh, spider like qualities like we all are meant to. Yes. Does, we're all meant to be kind of it, it just it's not meant to be a horror thing it's just that's what a spider does and we don't like spiders spiders are technically horror spiders are technically spiders horror spiders are technically I, okay. I, I think I've, I've I've already made my case here I think I'm, okay. Okay. I think I should get a medal uh, <laughs> but then it's like, then it leads in towards comedy when he's doing the yeah accident. I thought the whole thing was just a a, 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 a fun silly scene I didn't it, think any I didn't think any horror Things came from a scene. But uh, jumping on the ceiling, I was like, "Oh, that feels like a horror." How do you feel about dancing on the ceiling? Uh, oh, what a feeling! What a, a feeling! Oh, got to be before me. <laughs> Go on, who doesn't love Lionel Richie? Anyway, how does P- <laughs> Oh God, I keep I, it together. I can't First get, show back. I can't First keep, show of the year. I, I, you're supposed to be the serious one. We've got so many more of these to do. And come you, come, on. you come in here referencing the 80s like I'm supposed to do. Uh, how does Peter use his, uh, first use his powers in the comic books? Like, Does he fight off a bunch of people in the train and whip, rip a woman's clothes off? There's no ripping a woman's clothes off, no. Good. Um, <laughs> he feels a little bit like this. He feels a bit funky after the spider bite. Mm. Uh, and he walks into traffic. Uh, oh, boy. And a car comes hurtling towards him and kind of swerves. And he... Uh, something like at the last second, something warns him to get out of the way, and he leaps out of the road and kind of realizes that he's landed on the side of a wall and he's sticking to the wall. Mm. And then he effortlessly climbs up the wall and he's like, I'm climbing up this wall as easily as I would walk along the ground. <laughs> and then when he gets like the very top of the building, he grabs um, a metal pipe to kind of pull himself up onto the roof. And as he does, he has crushed the steel pipe as though it were paper. So he very wow. quickly goes, I can stick to walls and I'm very strong. And then he's on the roof 
and he starts to like balancing on telegraph wires and electric electricity cables and stuff and realizes it's as easy to walk along one of these little thin wires and cables as it is for him to kind of walk down the street so yeah he very quickly gets all of his powers in one fell swoop the economy of writing in the origin story is amazing so simply by having the car come near him mm. stanley in a couple of panels is able to do he's got a spider sense he can stick to walls he's incredibly agile and he's strong boom Let's keep moving. <laughs> that's that's the kind of editing and narrative flow you need a lot in a lot of these days. When you're bashing out multiple things a month, yeah. You know what could have been more better though, if if he had like several scenes dedicated to admin, <laughs> like <laughs> Batman Begins. Well, we still have a lot of that coming up, buddy. He's more admin. Web, re- web research on materials and Batman, sewing scenes. And... Batman Begins would have been vastly improved if they went through the returns policies as well. <laughs> Just oh, in gosh. case they didn't fit. Actually, he's rich. He wouldn't need to return anything. And then, and then, <laughs> on top of them doing that, they've also had these stupid things where sometimes it just doesn't matter. Whereas, like, uh, uh Morgan Freeman, I need a bat car. Oh, funny you should say that, Mr. Wayne. I have here a Batmobile. <laughs> oh, cool. What? 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 He's No, he's just having a look around. At a, no, no, I'm not it's getting It's the into- story of a man who earns nothing. <laughs> he earns nothing in that movie. He learns virtually no lessons, and he earns none... <laughs> None of his like. There's no. There's no hero's journey. In his, He's a his, billionaire. Oh. What do you expect? Jeez. I expect the Spider-Man story, the, the, the Batman story that I know, where he earns things. He did get anyway. beaten up a lot in Asia, so yeah. <laughs> he steals an apple. Steals an apple. Frank Castle would have blown his brains out for that. That's what I say. God, a criminal's is- a criminal. Oh god. Anyway, back to back to back to Spider-Man. At home, Peter su- uh, further surprises himself and Aunt May when he catches a fly in midair with his hands. In a sweaty fever, Peter gorges on raw food and leftovers, much to the shock of his aunt and uncle. In his room, Peter feels the back of his neck and pulls a spider thread out of the bite. At the end of the thread is the carcass of the spider that bit him. The next morning, Peter accidentally destroys his alarm clock and ruins the bathroom as he gets used to his sudden super strength. In his room, he's shaken by his newfound sensibility. He searches the internet for spider bites and what his dad had to do with spiders before accidentally breaking his keyboard with his spider grip. Casually sitting on the roof of his home, Peter reads his father's research and decides to pay Dr. Connors a visit. I have to admit, a fair few few moments in this film made me burst out laughing. Like the meatloaf remark by Uncle Ben, and the keyboard sticking to his fingers. I found those bits genuinely funny. The meatloaf remark is directly from the Ultimate Spider-Man comic. Really? Directly, yeah. Fantastic. So much of Uncle Ben and and things are taken from from inspiration from that. I really resented having to watch the funny montage of him learning his powers again. Like, of all... I, I like there's so many things they want to stay away from doing from the Raimi movies mm. and then there's a whole bunch of stuff we have to go through again for no reason I just 
see this 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 obviously this this uh, stinks of reboot because when you do a reboot you've got to go through the same skeletal scru- structure most of the time yeah. and you got you got to hit those same beats and they're going well Sam Raimi did it fine what can we possibly do and all they can think of is little bits like on the edges on the edges of what you can do so you got these little bits like yeah. the, the the key the the uh, the key that was good yeah that was fun I, I thought that was genuinely funny but at the same time you, I I agree you are thinking I I know this story <laughs> I'm being retold repackaged the same story and not to not to go back to the performative geekness again but Peter Parker sitting on casually sitting on the edge of a roof reading feels like something they they that they would have done in Dawson's Creek yeah. to let you know a character was. You know, free-spirited. Free-spirited, man. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you've seen that Payson? It's probably a name in America. Payson sitting on the edge of his roof again, reading poetry to himself. <laughs> I wish I could know the heart of Payson. That's, it's, they must be really unbearable to talk to, those people. They don't, they're not real people. Roof-sitters, I mean. Oh, again, I don't think they're real people. Real people anyway. are really hard, really horrible to talk. Un- sorry, unreal people are really horrible. <laughs> no, I, I like, no, no, real people. You know, you, you guys who listen in, you're the real people. You're nice. I like talking to you. Come and see us in person. Yeah, come, please, please, please validate me. Anyway, uh, quick question: This whole transformation we're seeing, obviously, we've seen it in the Raimi movies, and we're seeing it again in a different way. What I need to ask though: Was Peter's transformation into Spider-Man in the comics like a bad fever? I don't quite know what you mean because um, he, 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 he he's sweating he's sweating like, it, I, know, I, Sam... didn't, I didn't really i didn't really pick up on that in either film personally well come on okay in the first film he's like drowsy and he's like oh you know what the hell to me that says fever you know when you have a fever and, and your head's swimming i suppose so what was it like that in the comic uh he feels a bit rough and he walks into traffic that's kind that's of about it, it. I, I i i i'm i'm struggling to think of ultimate the ultimate version. His, his symptoms last for a bit longer in the ultimate version. Mm. He passes out a couple of times. That sounds so like a yeah, fever. May, maybe, maybe. Oh, good. I was right. It's a fever. <laughs> I. He's got spider fever. Anyway, back to the film. At Kurt spider Col- spider fever is what like really crap entertainment journalists would would say when reporting on how popular the first Spider-Man movie was. And it seems Ugh. like the whole country has got Ugh. spider fever. I hate Back those. to you, Joan. I hate that so much because it's like the most... No, 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 we're not going there. I'm, I, I'm not going to get angry about entertainment journalism. <laughs> we're going to talk about Spider-Man. At Connors, it's home. Peter bothers the Doctor for answers who almost asks him to leave before he realises that Peter... Is Richard Parker's son. In his kitchen, Connors explains that he does not know where Peter Fathers left too, but uh, his research would have changed the lives of millions. As Connors apologises for staying away from Peter out of the anger he felt towards Richard for suddenly leaving with the research, Peter mentions the decay rate algorithm and shares the equation he found in his father's files with Kurt, impressing him. Dr. Connors invites Peter to Oscorp to further investigate the algorithm. That evening, Dr. Connors reads the equation alone in his room while staring at his stump where his arm once was. Now, I, I remember people saying, uh, I read people saying, I think both uh, reviews and other people, like, like there wasn't much done 
there, there wasn't much about this character with Kirk Connors, but I, 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 I felt a good, not the best amount, but a fairly good amount of pathos with him. When, when you see him, apparently there was an unshot scene where he does, he does a tie up with one arm and apparently like Reese fans was actually practicing doing that but in the end they thought no it takes too long and it doesn't do much but I thought that would have really hammered it home how much of a struggle this guy lives he's a one-armed scientist and you know he's he's once he, he doesn't like weakness I guess uh, yeah I don't know I, I don't think the character lands and I think um I think I it, Maybe we should have had a rule and and tried not to judge this movie in the shadow of the others, but but this movie came out in the shadow of the others. <laughs> so it's very hard. The audience yeah. will, will be thinking similar things. If you're if you're a massive amazing Spider Man fan and all that, I'm 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 really sorry if this feels like we are constantly harping back. Um, I don't want it necessarily to be like that, but you know. All Spider-Man villains live in the shadow of of Alfred Molina's Doctor Octopus. They just do. Yeah, um, that was just the the that that was that felt like pathos. That yeah, that like, was that was hard. That's the kind of pathos that makes your heart tremble. That 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 bit when I just don't, I think we needed a bit more of 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 Kurt Connors and I don't know. Yeah, what was going on with him? But yeah, I don't know. I didn't really. I didn't. The lizard, as we'll talk about, is like the one of the first sympathetic characters, sympathetic sympathetic villains or monsters that Peter goes up against. I don't feel a lot of sympathy for this guy. I, I okay, fair enough. I, 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 I it harped, it harped at something that I felt. Hmm, this is this, this, this must be pathos. So, is this how Peter Parker meets Doctor Connors in the comic books? Is is he an old colleague of Peter's dad? Does he work for Oscorp? No, 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 no connection to uh, Peter's dad or to Oscorp. I mean, Peter's dad doesn't really feature in the comic books um, at all, really, until the until the nineties come around. Mm. Um, the Lizard is one of the original Spider-Man villains, appearing in issue six. Um, there are there are rumors of a, a giant lizard living in Florida and causing chaos. Uh, J. Jenner Jameson, you know, wants wants this on the front page. And so he sort of, uh, he, well, he he does a a front page news story mm. of rumors of the lizard, those kind of, you know, photo, blurry photos of big big foot. That's all they've got. And he challenges Spider Man to not be a coward, leave New York, go to Florida, and face a real challenge, <laughs> a giant lizard man. Uh, Peter hears more and more about this lizard and thinks that maybe it's real and maybe you should go and check it out, but he's 15 and he has no money. So <laughs> he has no way of getting to Florida. How He can't web swing there. So he puts on the Spider-Man costume, bursts into J. Jonah Jameson's office and says, I'm going to accept your challenge and I'm going to go to Florida and I'm going to fight this lizard man and you'll never get the exclusive... Because you're all the way here in New York. Why, you'd have to pay that broke 15-year-old photographer, <laughs> Peter Parker, a lot of money to go all the way to Florida and get pictures. And you'll never do that. And then he jumps out the window. <laughs> and of course, uh, <laughs> you know, that works. J.J. Jameson is like, I'll show you Spider-Man. Peter Parker, get in here. Here's a lot of money and a first-class ticket. Go to Florida. <laughs> um, 
which is a, a very fun kind of way of doing it. Uh, the Bugle pays Pete to go to Florida. The only downside that Pete doesn't know about is that Jonah doesn't want him running up loads of expenses on his dime. <laughs> so J. Jonah Jameson goes with him as his oh. buddy and shadows his every move to make oh. sure you're not putting out in expenses, are you? What is that, a can of Pepsi? <laughs> So he has to like kind of keep sneaking away from Jonah to go and do Spider-Man stuff. Once he's in Florida, yeah, uh, he does see the Lizard Man, and then goes to seek the advice of famed reptile scientist. You know the, you know them. Yeah, they're all over the place. Doctor Kurt Connors, um, and Spider-Man just like uh, just here's a woman crying in this house. He knows Kurt Connors lives there. So he just, again, jumps into the window. Why are you crying? He's <laughs> like, oh, Jesus, who are you? <laughs> and he, he finds he finds in this bedroom uh, Mrs. Kirk Connors blubbing her eyes out, staring wistfully into a kind of a framed picture of her husband. Uh, remember when people used to do that? We should bring it back. That's we a bit melodramatic, mate. Framed pictures of people we know just, just with us. But it looks like the uh, Wolverine meme. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and 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 he's like, "What's going on? Where's Kurt Connors? Has he been eaten by a lizard?" And she explains uh, what has happened to uh, to Curty. Okay, it's, I, I'm glad that in both the cartoon and the film, but they cut out a lot of travelling time and just went, <laughs> "Yeah, it all happens in New York." Yeah, it all happens in New York. But also, yeah. just imagine sharing. A flight with J. Jonah James. I imagine... I, a part of me thinks Jonah was maybe in first class and Pete wasn't, but I can't quite remember. Yeah. Jonah doesn't strike me as a first class guy, actually. No, no he, he would save the money. Because got to... Yeah, he's got to squeeze that penny. He, he's a pro, he's a proper Scrooge character. He's a penny pincher. Okay, back to the story. At school the next day, Parker surprises Flash Thompson when he's able to use his newfound abilities to get the better of him in the middle of Flash's basketball game, knocking over the bully with no effort before wrecking a basketball hoop. After visiting the principal's office with Uncle Ben about Peter's behaviour, Ben has a stern talking to with Peter and tells him because of this he had to change shifts at work and Peter has to pick up Aunt May after school. Ben notices Gwen Stacy nearby and embarrasses his nephew before leaving. However, Gwen talks with Peter and... Hey, a- he's got pictures of you. I he's love that. He's got pictures of you on his computer. I love that bit <laughs> so much. Anyway, but Gwen talks to Peter and they set up a date. As, yes, I love that bit so much because it comes off so natural and so like... Yeah. Because it, it, he's gone from scolding him, sort of like, okay, we're done, we're done, I'm done scolding you. And he goes into playful... But playful in a way that like only a parent could do. And Absolutely, it's yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Martin Sheen is just brilliant in this. Uh, Uncle Ben, as we know, teaches Peter an important life lesson here. Does that happen in the comics before he dies? No, um, we we don't get much of. I mean, I think you know, there's there's so many comics and stories written after Uncle Ben's death. I imagine there are kind of flashbacks and Peter remembers an important life lesson his uncle told him. But in the original origin story, it's only a couple, you know, a few pages long. There's only a few panels of, of Uncle Ben before he before he gets killed. Yeah. So he doesn't do this. Even the Ultimate Reboot, which has loads more Uncle Ben, and this is very much kind of takes a lot of inspiration and, and directly bases things on. Whilst there is loads of Uncle Ben, there is not 
really a lot of like let me put my arm around you Pete and tell you a life lesson mm. there's there's it's the year 2000 Aunt May and Uncle Ben are are like old ex hippies basically <laughs> really um then in, in the ultimate reboot Uncle Ben's got gray hair pulls back in a ponytail he wears very casual clothes um they're completely broke there's just I, and again, I've I've reread it in the last um, couple of months. There's real wealth in that story, in those stories of tons of love and support and understanding from Uncle Ben mm. and from Aunt May as well. Like there's, uh, so there's a scene where they're talking about Peter's kind of like passed out from having been bit by the spider. And Aunt May and Uncle Ben are talking about what you know what's gone on, the hospital bills, are they going to sue Oscorp, all that kind of stuff. Um, and Uncle, it's this great back and forth dialogue. Yeah. Brian Michael Bend is wonderful at that, writing a comic book like it's a, a TV show for the very 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 first time. It's brilliant, change comics forever. Um, and Aunt May is like, are we going to sue them for this? And he went, no, of course not. It was an accident. You don't sue someone because of an accident. They didn't mean for anything bad to happen. Like Little bits of stuff like that. It's not a life lesson necessarily, but it's just the character of Uncle Ben. Of course you don't. Of course we're not going to sue them. They didn't mean for this to happen. It was an accident. Let's move on. And like Peter blows up at them at one point and storms out. And he, I think, goes upstairs and kind of overhears them or whatever, and we hear their dialogue. And Uncle Ben is like, ah, oh, that was awful. We, he's had a very rough time at school. We came in, you know, with guns blazing to him, and we're not really mad at him. We're mad at these other people. And he's going through, a, you know, there's, there's tons of that. He cares for kind of like everybody. That's lovely. But in a very down-to-earth way, just treat other people well, you know. It's not an awful lot of like... Let me pull you to one side and prepare you for the grown-up world, the adult it's, world. It's not so on the nose, basically. It's more, yeah, a, it's more yeah. like a Jimmy Stewart, it's a wonderful life kind of way. I guess so, yeah. yeah. Anyway, back on to the, the nose being a phrase that was very apt to use in this Voldemort lizard movie. <laughs> <laughs> so, back to the film. At the docks, Peter practices his spider skills, swinging from chains and climbing ship holes, getting more confident with each climb and swing. Later, he drops by Oscorp to see Connors and notices the Ganali device that was in his dad's notes that has the ability to uh, disperse a healing cloud of medicine over the entire city. Theoretically, you could cure polio in an afternoon. Controversial, controversial. Not everybody would want to be cured of polio, as we now currently know. <laughs> it's against if you people's have the ability rights to press a button and cure polio in an afternoon. I think many people would accuse you of being the new Hitler. So, <laughs> hashtag satire. <laughs> <laughs> so the device is potential. The, the reason it's uh, not being used is the, the device is potentially too dangerous to use. So it just lies in the lab, gathering dust. Peter then assists Dr. Connors splicing the regenerative DNA properties of a lizard to that. Why is it too powerful? What, what, what's the, how is it too... Aside too from dangerous. what I just mentioned. Too dangerous. What, why? Because, because you could put say? anthrax in there or something. 
you could do the opposite of what it was intended to do. Oh, okay. It's 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 not about spreading medicine. Perhaps I need about... a line of dialogue to tell me about that because all they told me is this can give a lot of people medicine immediately, and they didn't say, yeah, but someone could put a big fart in it. <laughs> Really, just ruin everyone's day. <laughs> it's just, I just needed, I just needed a little bit of dialogue to help me know what what the, the dangers were. Why does everything smell like eggs? <laughs> oh no! The Ganali device has been deployed. The Ganali device has been deployed, and the I've gone right gonna, off my lunch. It's gonna smell like eggs for ten minutes. <laughs> Sorry, that's broken. <laughs> no, no, no. This, I think this is the thing because I'm that guy who, who knows about these things. I would, I would instantly jump to the conclusion: ah, they wouldn't use that because they could just put anthrax or something in. There. Just needs a line of dialogue. Doesn't take very long. It's not going to make your movie another hour long. All you need to do Lo- is for Kurt Connors to say, "But of course, the dangers. If someone were to get hold of this and put, you know, yep. big fart in it. How about this? A line of dialogue and then some flashbacks." To all the admin to do with the Ganali device, oh, like yeah. Batman Begins. <laughs> oh, we got callbacks for days. We got callbacks for days <laughs> in this episode. I'm loving it. Kicking off 2022, baby. Yeah, yeah, 2022. That's first show of the new year. Yeah. Anyway, so as we said, the device is too dangerous. And then Peter then says Connors splicing the regenerative DNA properties of a lizard to that of a free-legged mouse, with the results to come soon. That evening. Peter comes home to a very angry Uncle Ben, who tells him to apologise for not picking up Aunt May after school, and tells him about Richard Parker's moral philosophy in life that Peter should strive to be. But an arrogant and upset Peter lashes out and storms out of the house. Okay, going back to the uh, scene where he's practising his spider skills, call me, right, call me a broken record, but we do not need a Coldplay song on the soundtrack. That's what was the song? It, I, I looked it up. I can't remember the name. At first, I thought it was Mumford and Sons because it, it was it had that same dreary nonsense <laughs> to it. And I, I I know like Coldplay is the like they're like Nickelback. They're the go-to punching bag band, aren't they? They're the go-to you know band. But genuinely, that song was just so dreary and out of place. It felt like it, should, it belonged in a, rom- in a romance film or a coming-of-age teen drama. Mark Webb, baby. Did, I mean, yeah. done one movie and it's a rom-com. Maybe that's his instinct. I just It just felt out of place. And, and, and it's, it's funny enough, it's that scene I always remember from this film because of how out of place it felt. Yeah. The music. Some things it's, can start, start really, really grab you like that, can't they? Yeah. So we're also introduced to The Moral Philosophy of Richard Parker by Richard Parker. That's his book. Uh, and yet nobody in this movie ever says, with great power comes great responsibility. What is going on here, Rob? What is going on? <laughs> they go right around the houses on that one, don't they? Yeah, they, they, they hey, hey, Sam uh, Raimi. If you have yeah. the, uh, not power, the um, ability to... Uh, do good things, then you have the not responsibility. You have the ju- ju- obligation. You have the obligation again to do those things. Again, they're reaching the same destination by taking the muddy road next to the highway. That's what it's like. I, I, I remember lots of reviews at yeah. the time talking about how the dialogue in this movie really tied itself up in knots to yep. desperately avoid saying "with great power comes great yep. responsibility," Absolutely. Uh, whilst also trying to deliver that message. They obviously felt like it was um, 
it, it, the line played such a big part in the original trilogy, they need to move away from it and not say it. But also, they can't because that's the whole character. Um, Do you know, it was like when I saw Man of Steel and not one point did they say Neil before Zod. Oh, really? Yeah, and I yeah. was really... I was waiting for him to say it and never said it, and that was one of the many things that upset me about that film. My problem is I can't hear Neil before Zod without immediately my brain going, Snoochie Boochies! <laughs> <laughs> Just because I watch more rats far too often as a wasted youth. Same, I had um, it on DVD, who hadn't? Yeah. So this scene is really taken directly from that Ultimate Spider-Man reboot, right down to the way... I mean, the, 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 the dialogue almost exact and the right down to the way Peter Angler reacts and lashes out and runs off um, in the comic book Uncle Ben has gone to collect him from a raucous party that's got out of hand and it's causing problems I don't like this I didn't like it in the Ultimate Spider-Man reboot don't like it in this movie mm. Peter Parker his father is Uncle Ben yeah. in the original like stories, the regular version of of of, of Spider Man, and that there there isn't this saintly, dead Richard Parker father's ghost hanging over things and inspiring him from beyond the grave. That that that's Batman spiel, <laughs> it's Hamlet spiel, it's Obi Wan Kenobi spiel, and a dozen other characters. It's not Spider Man. Like Richard Parker plays zero part role in Peter's life. It is Uncle Ben who is Peter Parker's North Star, his moral compass. Great power, great responsibility. That's the philosophy of Uncle Ben. It's not something he passes down from a dead saint-like figure, right? And it's that philosophy, the Uncle Ben philosophy, that is the heart of Spider-Man. I don't. I, I never liked it when I read it in the year 2000. I didn't like it when I heard it again in this movie. It's... I don't like the displacing of Uncle Ben for, for again for this trope of the the Harry Potter's dead dad kind of thing. It's just not it's not Spider-Man. It's not Peter Parker. And it's not what the character needs. Um and I, he's got a dad. It, I, he says it at the end of <laughs> the first Spider-Man movie. I have a father and his name is Ben Parker. Like it's kind of it's kind of key in, and he's an orphan, but he's not an orphan anyway. Yeah, I know what you mean. I get it. Back to the movie. At a grocery store, Peter argues with the clerk when he doesn't have the right change and almost storms out before witnessing a criminal holding up the clerk who throws Peter over the milk he was trying to buy. As the criminal makes his getaway, the clerk yells at Peter to stop the criminal, with Peter arrogantly rebuffing him and walking away saying, it's not my policy. So this is different to the Sam Raimi movie. Is it like this in the comic books? Is he does he do something like this that's arrogant? Well, yeah, but the alteration is weird. Yeah. So in the comics, and then the, thus the Raimi movie. Yeah. When Peter has a chance to stop a robber, mm. all he has to do is stick his foot out, yeah. trip the guy up, while the guy is already being chased by people. Yeah. That's it, and. And I guess like the point of that is that the good thing that is needed to be done is so small. Yeah. It's such a small act. Stick your foot out. That's it. Um but Peter has been he feels he's been wronged by the person who needs his help. 
so it doesn't help them. Yeah, that's the key. But it's a small act that every one of us reading the comic or watching the movie could do. Here, <laughs> Pete would have to chase down and fight an armed robber. Because <laughs> the guy says, why don't you tackle him? Like, what? I, 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 I don't get that. Like... Just stick your foot. All he had to do was trip him. And again, it feels like they are going, oh, we can't do a tripping scene because that's in the first one. So he just, not there. we do nothing. I'll tell you what, though. He's already been established that he can fight several people on a moving subway. So, I mean, I, I see he'd have no problem beating up. Uh, and completely. I'm- and in the comic books, he would also have no, it's not about him having no problem. It's about... It's about what do you, the audience and reader, okay, yeah. so, like, could, could you stick your foot out and stop someone who's running away? Yes, it's no effort. Could you, the audience member, tackle an armed robber to the ground? Can you associate <laughs> with that? Yeah. Can you can you feel that that is justified or unjustified? Like, like literally, just have to in 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 the in the other versions, he just has to put his foot out and the guy's done. Um, but he won't even do that. He won't even do that effort. And yeah, I just find it. I find it a very odd alteration. Yeah, I, I, I see. I saw this as oh, they're just doing the same thing, but it's a bit grittier. But now, from what you said, it's like wait a second. This whole thing's unravelled on the floor like a big mess. And he's not a wrestler. I mean, there's the madness of <laughs> the best, like. This is also missing. Um, Pete's like kind of just a, he's just a kid here. He's just like a messed up kid, right? Mm. Getting powers doesn't make him worse. In the comics, getting powers makes him so much worse. He's such a dick. Um, he becomes a incredibly success. He was a very popular, well paid wrestler, and immediately has all these like TV gigs. Um, and there's, there's there's a whole thing like he 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 sits and thinks in his head in his room. Yes, my aunt and uncle they have looked after me after all these years. I shall always make sure they're taken care of. But everyone else in the world can go to hell because <laughs> he's just such a vain, self glorious. Like it's just exasperated all his problems because he hasn't learnt his lesson yet. Yeah. Um, whereas this version of Pete is kind of just a good kid, like a little messed up. But I mean, if you were, if you were like, how I don't know, however old twenty six year old Andrew Garfield is meant to be in this movie, <laughs> sixteen maybe fifteen, he does not look youthful in this film at all. He looks like a man. He looks younger than Toby Maguire did, but that's because no, no, no. Toby Maguire had a side parting, and that ages people by ten years. <laughs> Yeah, very true, very true. Okay, so back to the film. As the criminal runs down the street, he trips up in front of Uncle Ben, dropping his gun. Ben sees the pistol and tries to apprehend the criminal, but is fatally shot. Peter run towards, runs towards the sound of the shot and finds his uncle bleeding in the street before he dies in his arms. At home, police tell an emotional Aunt May about her husband's death. Peter sees the wanted poster for the man who killed Uncle Ben and realises it's the same man he let rob the convenience store. I feel they built up Ben more in this film than they did the Sam Raimi films. And 100%, it does, yeah. And it, it, even though it's quite... 
the whole the whole scene of his death is a little bit clumsy. I felt it was just it was just a struggle. You know, you know that was it. Like, yeah. Rather rather than uh, a guy just take, takes his car, it just felt a bit. I don't know. Again, it was approaching the same destination right next to the highway on a muddy road. But it, but they, because they built up, they built him up. There's a bit more of a payoff. I found absolutely. And again, this really does take from the the Ultimate Spider-Man reboot, where you get it's the first time I had ever read Uncle Ben as a character. Yeah, it's up to the year two thousand to do that, and you get to read him as a parent for I think five or six issues. Like Ultimate Spider-Man, the comic, you don't get to see the Spider-Man costume for six or seven issues, maybe more. Wow. Um, because it's all about Peter's... But it's, again, one of, if not the best Spider-Man story you know, ever told. It's, it's really great. One of um, the best things I'll never read. Yeah. But you get you do get, you know, like five or six issues of Uncle Ben. And you've, like you said, you feel that emotional connection when he when he dies. And you feel for Peter um, because you've had that chance to kind of like build that connection to the character absolutely so the next day at school flash thompson in a surprisingly nice change of character tries to reach out to peter about his uncle dying but a distraught parker bashes him against a locker that evening peter finds the murder hassling someone in an alley and jumps on him but before he can get his revenge a gang of criminals emerge and try to take him down forcing him to flee up the side of a building his pursuers give good chase and he's forced to fight. During a rooftop fight with the man he thinks is responsible for his uncle's death, Peter sees the guy is lacking a distinctive tattoo on his hand. This is not Uncle Ben's killer. Peter then falls through a roof and into a run-down wrestling arena. The murderer yells out at Peter, knowing he knows what he looks like because he can see his face. And Peter notices a poster with a red luchador mask on, giving him the idea to wear a disguise. Several times, it, whilst I was going through the notes of the synopsis, I had to keep changing that because about three times it says Peter confronts his uncle's killer. And I was like, no, no, he doesn't. He never finds his uncle's killer. I, I, um, I have to admit, hand that all, all those people look the same to me. All I'm, I agree with you completely, and I wonder whether they use the same actor. I'm not sure, but they keep, they do keep the the thing of going to the arm. They keep, he keeps. He keeps looking at the arm and going, I, oh, tattoo, move on. Do you know what? You missed that bit, didn't you? I don't know. It, it <laughs> might be because I did it in two goes, but I think it might be because it's like, it, it just merged. The Sam Raimi film mer- yeah. merged in my head and I didn't think, I was like, eh, this, this, this is exactly the same thing. So does he actually go hunting for Uncle Ben's killer in the original stories? And is it also why he starts wearing a mask? Yes, he does. He does. He does go after him, but he immediately catches him straight away. Like yeah. the cops have already got the mugger cornered in a warehouse, but the mugger's got a gun, so it's like a classic old. It's a standoff, coppers. I got a gun too. Yeah. Uh, so Pete can can swings into the roof, and as soon as he does that and gets down to the guy, like he immediately sees that it's the the man that he let get away. So there's not this long protracted quest for vengeance. Yeah. Like in this movie. Which is a bit, bit Batman. Like in this movie, it's the reason he goes out and starts stopping crimes is because he's hoping every time he'll meet and catch his uncle's killer, which is a revenge kind of driven 
thing, which yeah. is not the Spider-Man story. The Spider-Man story is not for personal gain. It is not to get something he wants. It's because his uncle dies and he learns the lesson that we're not allowed to say in this movie. <laughs> With Grey X must also come Grey X. Do, do you know uh, what? Do you know what? Again, it, 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 I don't want to use the same metaphor, you know, driving alongside her, but this feels like they've driven away from the highway, gone into the woods for a bit, <laughs> and then rejoined it. It's it just... Oh... I, I, I think this bit, I, I, I must have just fa- phased out while watching, because I was just like, catch him, don't care. The reason Pete starts wearing a mask in the comics is because yeah. he becomes a wrestler. Yeah. Um, there's an open challenge advertised, last three minutes in the ring with Crusher Hogan, and you could win $100. So Pete is like, ah, good chance to test my abilities, and he, uh, but he fears uh, failure and public ridicule is because it? that's yeah. what he lives with his whole life. So he he gets a makeshift mask over his face when he steps into the squared circle, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, then he then he immediately becomes a a sensation. Like uh, so popular, there's a yeah. like an age a talent agent and a, and a TV producer in the audience. They start lining up theater shows yeah. and he makes lots dozens of appearances on on television we get a, like a almost like a comic book montage of newspaper uh front 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 pages of newspapers mm. of spider-man being this popular tv star and attraction so peter keeps the mask and makes himself a more like theatrical costume for tv that's uh it's it's, it's a very small mercy that they didn't try to redo the wrestling bit because nothing Nothing could beat Bone Saw. Let's have a bit of Bone Saw. Bone Saw's ready. <laughs> yeah, it goes up at. I always think it goes up at the end. Bone I, I, Saw's this, ready. This, this, it's, not, it's not the bit. The bit I usually do is you're going nowhere. It's <laughs> <laughs> my favourite bit. God bless Randy, 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 Randy. Uh, up in uh, wrestling heaven. Wrestling heaven, um, dude. Or maybe not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Don't have heroes, folks, if you're in the wrestling business. They'll <laughs> let you down. Yeah. Okay, back to the story. At school and in his spare time, Peter works on his first mask. Over the next few days, a masked Peter Parker stalks New York looking for his uncle's killer, apprehending various associates along the way. Like that sentence just doesn't seem like a Spider-Man sentence. Do you know what? A masked Peter Parker stalks New York looking for his uncle's killer. Okay, two, What's two, going on? two things. When I write when I write the stories, the, the little notes... This is here. not a criticism of you. This is a criticism of the event happening, the way it's been framed. This is not you. Oh, I thought, it was just, oh, I thought you criticising no, my no, sentence no, structure. No, 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 I actually, no. as reading That's this out, what's happened. Reading this out, I, I thought in my head, what the hell did I write here? Because two things. I always... I try to call the hero by their real name until it's established that they are the superhero. Very good, very good. And two, this sentence reads like the worst kind of like American TV local news. Like, you know, that kind of... That, that, oh, that I'm, be, I'm uh, just seeing what you're talking about yeah. now. Yeah, oh, yeah. A mass Peter Paris talks New York looking for his uncle. You know, that kind of trying to use many literary and sort of quite quite uh, jovial and sing-songy ways of, of saying something even though it's serious like like, yeah. they, like they like they used to make fun of on the day-to-day it's it's that kind of thing and I look back at sorry guys we'll get to the story in a sec but I'm just like looking back at this going what did I do here 
Behind the curtains, folks. Behind the curtains. <laughs> Spoiler alert. No one's interested in behind the curtains. Get back to the story. Anyway, over the next few days, a masked Peter Parker stalks New York while looking for his uncle's killer, apprehending various associates along the way while also working with Oscorp biocables to create a device that can produce webs. When a device is ready, Peter practices web swinging with some calamitous results. Using a police responder, Peter hears an APB fitting the description of his uncle's killer and heads out. Meanwhile, Gwen Stacy's father, NYPD Captain George Stacy, is responding to the reports of a masked vigilante taking down criminals. As George derogatorily labels him as an anarchist, Peter's latest catch falls from a rep, wires in front of them and a crowd while Parker swings away. So we got Dennis Leary here playing uh, George Stacy. The only thing I know about Dennis Leary is that he stole jokes off Bill Hicks. Yes, that was a very contentious thing for a while, wasn't it? Yeah. That, I, I, the thing is, I, don't know, I didn't know he starred in films. All I knew is he's a comedian a little bit like Bill Hicks, but stole his jokes, allegedly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's all I know. Anyway, in the original trilogy, right, Peter could shoot webs from his body. And I like that. I actually now, now we're dealing with the Oscorp bio cables. How does Peter get webs in the comic books? And is this anything like this? Oscorp bio cables, the dumbest thing I have freaking heard. Here we go, folks. Time for some flipping admin. Yeah. No time for magic. We've got to. We've got to think about bio cables. Um. <laughs> What about Iron Man? What about when Iron Man's building stuff? Is that isn't that technically admin? Actually, it's mm. kind of core to the story, if anything, because it's yeah, to, to the origin, yeah. And then he just puts a car, then he puts a suit on. I don't, I don't need to know what. I, like, there's no scene where he's talking about how where he gets the parts from. Stupid ass. <laughs> and about the returns policy and whether uh, he needs to buy in bulk. <laughs> in the comic book, Spider Man has web shooters. Yes. That he builds in like two panels, <laughs> um, <laughs> two and he's just panels. like, it's a, yeah, two of course. Pa- he's he's like, it's a good job. I'm a because Peter Parker is a prodigy. He's he he's a genius. Yeah. Um, wears them on his wrist, shoots webs. But up, but up, boom. boom. Yeah. Um, it's an amazing web fluid that he invents. The web fluid. There's no Oscorp bio cables. Yeah. He invents the web fluid. He invents the little spinner, the little web shooter itself. Um. It's a big part of the comic book. He can run out of web fluid at, at during the fight. There are entire issues where he can't web swing because he hasn't got any money to buy the core ingredients that he needs. Um, it's an obstacle to overcome. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, it harkens back to that thing that, that Peter Parker in the comics is this hardworking, self-made hero. And there are numerous issues where, you know... As I said, it's a big, it's a big drama for him. The, the the original trilogy, they felt that they they didn't want to make him that intelligence, that okay. intelligence, that intelligent. Basically, yeah. they didn't want Peter Parker to have the ability to build a web shooter and create this web fluid. That they they thought it would make him less relatable to the audience. So I they agree. had a thing where it just comes out of his wrist. I um, did. What did you think about the wrist? We probably talked about it before, haven't we? About the about the original Raimi wrists. In what, what do you mean about the wrists? Because it's not like the comics. It's right. The web, shooting webs out. Yeah, I don't like it. No, it's not right. I like it. <laughs> it's 
again, you, you, it's taking away something from the character. Okay. I can understand it in the context of a movie. It's not the be-all and end-all. It feels um, very X-Men-y. I think that's what I, I, I liked. It feels like something an X-Men character would have rather than... Yes, like... it's pretty gross. It's pretty gross. you gotta, you got you to gotta think about how much, uh, you know, because your body's got to produce yeah. that as well. So he'd be eating a lot. And it comes out your butt. Your butt? Spiders shoot webs out their butt and don't come out no wrists or no legs. Yeah, it comes all... out their butt. Okay, okay. And then they eat it. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's taking. I, I don't in the in. I don't. I'm not. I don't mind it that much. I just don't. I hate. It's indicative of Hollywood sitting down, going, "We have to change this classic great character that works." Mm. Because what if a child goes, he's smarter than me, I don't like it anymore. (laughs) Well, F that child and F that audience. And I just don't, I don't, I hate that overanalyzing micromanagement of, Mm. ah, this thing will make people not like Spider-Man. No, it won't. Do you know how I know it won't? Because I got 60 freaking years of success that tells me it won't <laughs> because it works it was a hit from day one for 60 years people love him <laughs> so why are we oh, doing this God. so yeah they the comics briefly changed it uh when the movie came out because they were again they were like oh my god i can't believe someone's making a movie about a comic book we better change things about the comic so it's just the same as the movie so they gave him organic, this organic oh, web power, okay, yeah. but that didn't last very long. It kind of evaporated, uh, kind of once the the furore about the movie had died down. Um, and I, yeah, I mean, this is this is a change that I can get on board with. I like, I, 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 yeah, I like, I like the way it looks as well. I, I like that he presses a button. I like that he thing a thing comes out. I just like, I love the gadget, man. It's 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 cool. It's cool. I see because I only knew Spider-Man from shooting webs from his wrists. The whole idea of web shooters for me, from like from my point of perspective, was this feels like over-engineering. Right? How do you mean? I don't know. It just felt like like oh, we're just gonna make it a device rather than one of his oh, superpowers. So yeah, that's yeah. the, the changes. It's a device rather than a yeah. Yeah, you get, you get what I mean. Anyway, I'll get back on with the story. Peter continues improving his costume, trying to find any costume ideas that aren't latex, until he finally creates a costume he's happy with. Later that evening, in the city, a robber breaks into a car, only to find Peter in full costume, waiting for him in the back seat. Spider-Man toys with the robber, making jokes before fighting him and webbing him to a wall. The police shortly arrives. The police shortly arrive and try to arrest Peter, who arrogantly tells them he did 80% of their job and is forced to run away. Escaping several cop cars, Peter makes his way onto the main road and swings away from the police, using the traffic to his advantage. (coughs) Later, George Stacy reprimands the police for failing to stop the vigilante. Peter comes home late to see Aunt May waiting up for him, asking where he was. Demanding Peter take off his his hood, Aunt May is shocked when Peter reveals various injuries from his various nights crime-fighting. I think the Spider-Man reveal scene could have been more fun he also comes off very brattish as well with the police yep yeah well with the police yeah i i i it just feels i don't know um 
It just doesn't. It just doesn't I, feel like a I nice. I needed. Yeah. I needed a reason to really dislike this robber. Yeah. Because I, I, I Spider Man just because he was. Mo- it felt like Spider Man's bullying the guy. Yeah. Rather than just like, like Spider Man's like the way he goes about doing things in the in the comics. Like it's fine to have that edge, that bullying edge, when it's like some awful person. But in general, I don't know. Spider Man makes fun of them, but he's also the the the, the way yeah. Spider Man is funny and popular in the comics is he's super goofy and super silly, right? That's how it kind of works. Do you know why it's happened here? I just realised because the revenge has gone cold. He's left it so long that by the time you get you get to him, it's kind of like. Who's this guy? Oh, it's that guy he has to get arrested. Uh, who cares? Well, it's not even the killer. It's not even his uncle's killer. Oh, it isn't? Oh. Uh, no, they, I, they've again, all blended a, into one infamy. A, a, again, there's a scene where I had to change the language and the thing again because right after he webs him to the wall, he pulls his his sleeve down. There's no tattoo. So off he goes and says, this could have gone so much worse, i.e. I could have killed you. <laughs> it's... Uh, I don't know, man. A lot, a lot was made about Spider-Man finally being funny in this movie, and I have to say, no, I, I don't know. No, he was not. It's not fu- quite. It's not so- quite there yet. Sorry, finally being. He was funny in the original ones. I don't think he was particularly. He wasn't like web swinging. Quip. He wasn't quip, 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 quipping. He was funnier than, in he that was, than this. Obviously, yeah. Obviously, in the Tom Holland films, Tom Holland one oh, nails it. He, he, nails na- it, he yeah. nailed the fun side. He got it right. But yeah. Anyway, uh, this is our first time also meeting Captain George Stacy, which you can't say in a normal voice. Uh, is he like this in the comic books? Does he go on a big anti-Spider-Man campaign, or is he just doing this because they couldn't get Jonah Jameson in? One hundred percent. I knew it. I bloody knew it. I bloody knew it. Captain George Stacy uh, first appears in in uh, 1968 mm. as Gwen Stacy's dad, created by Stan Lee, John Romita, and uh, and Don Heck, Don Heck of Iron Man fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's older, much older in the comics. He he's a retired police captain with white hair who oh, uses a cane you. to get around, kind of like uh, Fraser's dad because he's been injured in the line of duty. Mm. Um, he is the most like fiercely respected cop in the NYPD and even in retirement everyone still calls him Captain Stacy or Sir in retirement he follows Spider-Man's stories very closely and Captain Stacy is the only person in the world who supports Spider-Man he is a massive supporter oh. of Spider-Man. He sees through the Daily Bugle stories and all the negative press. He believes Spider-Man is someone trying to do the right thing um, in New York, and he supports that. He wants to try and change the public image of Spider-Man as well, because he thinks we the city needs him. And this is before Spider-Man had any relationship with other famous superheroes. It's before Spidey is in, like, in the Avengers, or anywhere near the Avengers. It's when he's harassed for being a menace all the time like captain stacy being a supporter him finally having a supporter is a big deal it being someone that is a respected cop former Mm. cop is it's really important yeah and it's it's the opposite of what's being done here really yeah 
he would keep coming out of retirement as well to kind of get involved in police cases that involved Spidey and trying to kind of convince the current crop of NYPD top brass that Spider-Man was a hero. So See, very different. And I res- think your, your your point about Jameson is is exactly it. Yeah, it it, it, uh, it it's something I really strongly felt because you need that person in some kind of authority to hate Spider-Man, who's on the side yeah. who's on the side of good. Well, I say on this, he's not necessarily typical. Jameson's evil. not on the side of good. He's like, I, I, yeah, I, I was about to say like Jameson's not on the side of good. But he's not he's not a supervillain. He's just. No, an, an antagonist, not an adversary. There we go, an antagonist. There we go, that makes sense. Uh, also, he was previously played by uh, James Cromwell in Spider-Man 3, wasn't he? Oh, that's right, See, yeah. The way, the, 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 James Cromwell fits the role perfectly. Yeah, because when you start describing how he is, like, yeah, I can imagine James Cromwell being I forgot that. Gwen is in Spider-Man 3, and her dad briefly as well. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been great. I would have much preferred James Cromwell. But then oh, it would have been a very J- different story. James Cromwell, one of those people who just pops up and I always have a smile on my face, even if he's the bad guy. Anyway, back to the story. At Oscorp, Connors impresses Rajit Ratha when he shows that the three-legged mouse they splice with lizard DNA has grown its fourth leg back, but the executive pushes the doctor to start human trials soon, even suggesting to inject the formula to unsuspecting people when Kurt pushes back, rather gives him a vague threat that implies what happened to Richard Parker will happen to him before shutting down his operation. At school, Gwen invites an agitated Peter Parker to dinner at her family's house. Meanwhile, back at the lab and running out of options, Kurt Connor initiates human trials on himself. Injecting the formula into the stump in his arm, he convulses. The next day, Parker drops by Stacy's fire exit to say hello and give her some crumpled flowers. Captain George enters the room and greets Parker cautiously. So is this how Peter starts dating Gwen Stacy in the comics, like secretly? Not, well, not secretly, but, you know, cautiously. Mm, no. Um, Gwen Stacy is, arrives in, in, in 1965 um, Steve, when Steve Ditko is still drawing the comic and kind of co, co-creating it with Stan. Um, Stanley, in later years, claimed that his wife, Joan, was the inspiration for Gwen. As ever with Stanley's statements, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> <laughs> um, in her initial appearances, you know, Peter's gone, he does not know her at high school. He doesn't know any of these people at high school, so for Flash. But, but, but yeah, he, 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 he's gone to college, and that's where Empire State University is where he, he, he meets Gwen Stacy. They're both um, in the same like science class together. Um, and Gwen likes Peter right from the off. We have a handsome Peter Parker. We have a a more self assured, uh, less so not socially awkward. We have a kind of a not exactly a traditionally cool, you know, teenager. But he he's he's not like he's not a loser. Like all of that high school drama is gone. And if you're listening to this and you're still at high school. That genuinely happens. <laughs> High school is an insane thing that happens to you, but it just stops, and you go to a workplace or somewhere, and it just you, you don't like that madness doesn't carry with you for the rest of your life. So I think it's really cool. Pete goes to college, to, and and it's all different, man. Um, and 
Yeah, so Gwen likes Peter and she keeps trying to subtly pursue him, but he's got no time for her. Mm. So this thing happens when he goes to college. He doesn't have friends again to begin with. Uh, people keep trying to get him to go to stuff and Aunt May is um, very, very ill and in hospital at this time and he is so distracted by that he does nothing. He goes to class and then people invite him to stuff and he, he he's like, I don't have time for it and he leaves and he's Spider-Man and he leaves. So he, he doesn't put any invest any time in building social relationships. So Everyone at this school thinks he's a snob <laughs> who hasn't got time for them and yeah. who looks down on them. And Gwen is kind of rebuffed by this a lot as well. Uh, so she uh, dates Harry Osborn, who is Peter Parker's roommate, yep. and Flash Thompson, his high school bully, specifically to make Peter jealous, mm. um, which works. Obviously. Um, and their relationship gradually developed but but peter's going out with mary jane watson at the time like so he dates mary jane before gwen stacy um but that doesn't last because he doesn't ever get to know the real mary jane it just sees her as shallow and self-absorbed which the character was at the time she was this like just party girl party girl um and once he finishes with Mary Jane, they start to they, gradually a little romance between them develops as they are lab partners and and classmates, and that that's how it that's how it starts to 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 as they start to begin dating. Cool. Right back to the story. At the lab, Kurt Connors awakens to find a scaly cocoon grown from his stump. Pilling away reveals a brand new and perfectly functioning arm. Trying to get in contact with Ratha about the results of the human trial, he finds out that Ratha is already on his way to a veteran's hospital to administer the formula without <clears> the <throat> patients knowing. Suddenly, Connors feels immense pain from his arm and hails a taxi to catch up with the Oscorp executive. Inside the cab, Kurt looks in horror as his new arm takes on a more reptilian appearance with green scales and claws. As the cab drives away at his orders, the scale slowly spreads to his face. I thought James Horner's soundtrack uh, was surprisingly good in places here. Again, obviously it's, you know, the generalised action theme, but it was, it, was, it was good. It was good. So, Kurt Connors, is this how he becomes the lizard in the comic books? I mean, pretty much. Broad, broad strokes, yeah, pretty much. There's no, there's no Norman Osborn or Oscorp. There's no... Like shady people making vague threats to his life to force him to do it. He just really, really wants another arm. Yeah. Uh, so, despite his wife saying this is a bad idea, mate, he jabs himself with his experimental serum, um, and and off he goes. Grows the arm, becomes a lizard man, runs off into the forest, um, but but like wearing. Uh, slacks and a lab coat <laughs> so he looks like a very strange lizard man yeah uh and then he runs back to his lab and he's like i'm gonna invent a serum to reverse the effects um but he's become a lizard man and lizard men can't do science because they've got <laughs> lizard lizard brains stupid old lizard brains so the lizard man writes a note like a farewell note to his wife uh as he's crying well, uh, what's he crying will because is he crying What's crocodile a, tears? Is he? 
There you uh, got it. It's exactly what I wrote down. Crocodile tears. This is exactly like the standard of jokes you've been pumping out on Facebook recently. For shame. For shame. Um, and he tell he tells he tells his wife Martha to take their son, run away, never come back. And then from then on, like he stops thinking like Kirk Connors, and he yeah. starts to regress. Yeah, it's yeah. and um, and and from that point on, with with the lizard, we do get when he when when he becomes a lizard, he has this. Um, he despises mankind. He becomes warm bloods. He despises a great Stanley. Uh, line there. He refers to uh, Spider Man and all these other people as warm bloods. He despises warm bloods and everything they do. And um, oh, that yeah. makes it just makes me think of Fallout. There's, um, there's I knew a... it would for some reason. I knew it happened at some point in this episode. Yeah, well, there we go. I'm going to ignore your sarcasm. Uh, <laughs> there, there's there's a race uh, called ghouls who are basically ex humans who got heavily irradiated. And now they they just look like zombies, and they all talk with croaky voices like this. And the derogatory comment they use for regular humans is "smooth skins, warm blood." <laughs> so like, hey there, smooth skin, what can I do for you? Smooth. That sounds like uh, this is a weird comment, but <laughs> I've been when I went to the pub. I was so used to working with. Uh, horribly aged people and serving horribly aged people we suddenly had like you know a dynamic young 20 summit come and work for us collecting glasses it's like oh my god your skin is so smooth (laughs) is that what people is that what young people are like i've forgotten it's been so long we're all so so old like you brush you'd brush against someone behind the bar and you go oh my god oh my god why are you not covered in like (laughs) after working in a bingo hall for some time i i get that i get that feeling uh, cool. Back to story. Cool. You've mm. done your bit. At the Stacy household, George talks about the Spider-Man that's been assaulting criminals, and Peter argues that this masked vigilante is providing a public service, stepping on the police captain's toes. After excusing themselves from dinner, Gwen and Peter go outside for some air, as well as to let her father cool off. After struggling to find the words, Peter reveals to her that he's Spider-Man, and they have a passionate embrace. Mrs. Stacy interrupts the couple to come back in, but Peter's spidey sense goes off. Police cars are on the lookout for someone, and the taxi that Kirk Connors was in lies split open in an alley. So the only uh, they're eating fish at the dinner, you know, and he doesn't know how to do it, and it just brought back memories. Like I, I've I've eaten. Fi- have you ever eaten fish like that, like a whole fish? Yeah, yeah. I did it when, uh, when my, my Greek ex, we went over to Athens with a family and they just served fish like that. And it's the first time it ever happened. And for an English person, for someone who's, you know, got experience of boring cuisine, this was a, like, like, like a complete game changer to me. Yeah, it's the bones. It's, you've the, got to get the right the fish. Bones, the bones, it's just yeah. awful. It's awful. an awful experience. It's very meticulous. And, and, not, and not necessarily for like the head and all of that, because I asked them to take the head off it. But it's just having all the bone. It's just yep. not fun. No, I hate. I hate that. That's why I like it in, in breadcrumbs instead. It's nice. <laughs> so Gwen finds out about this. This, this is, even when watching this film a second time, I was like, uh, "Yeah, oh, I went, oh, oh yeah. yeah." He just tells he just her tell, straight I, away. I'm just like, I was a bit taken aback by that. But yeah, anyway, Gwen finds out that his secret identity really early on. So is this? Does this happen like this in the comics? No, of course no. not. Uh, Gwen never finds out. Um, it just felt a the, bit off to yeah. me. 
I mean, let's not forget, like, the secret identity is, is very closely guarded, and the classic thing is, and it's a trope of superhero, superhero stuff, if anyone finds out they could hurt my, the people who I love, which is true, but also let's not forget, like, Peter is also afraid of being rejected by people. Yeah. In the comics, this isn't Clark Kent revealing that he's the amazingly beloved hero Superman. Spider-Man is hated. <laughs> this would be, like, half the city thinks he's a criminal. The rest think he's a reckless, dangerous menace. No one likes this guy. This would be like taking your girlfriend to one side and revealing that you've, you're secretly James Corden. It's not. <laughs> I was going to say easy ISIS, thing to do, but, but you know, <laughs> nah, nah, come on. Yeah, no, sorry. that was a better joke. Uh, fair, yeah, enough, fair enough. Yeah, just this. There's several times when he, he kind of planned to tell her because he's gearing up to try and propose, but things keep getting in the way, and then something major happens, which means he can never tell her about his secret, which we'll get to. Okay, we'll get to that. On the Williamsburg Bridge, Rather's limo ride is cut short when the car behind bashes into his and everyone gets out of their vehicles in terror. Spider-Man swings onto the bridge just in time to see a large lizard tearing through the cars towards the limo. Scaly claws smash through the limo before it's thrown from the bridge along with the other cars, but not before Spider-Man can web them to safety. As the civilians call to Spider-Man for help with the trapped citizens in the hanging cars, he's forced to let the lizard escape. Spider-Man makes his way down to a car to save a small to save a child trapped inside, but the fuel leaks and the car ignites. Spider-Man saves the child at the last minute when the flaming car falls into the river below, reuniting him with his tearful father. When asked who he is, Peter says Spider-Man before swinging away. Is the lizard the first supervillain that Spider-Man fights? Because I've always wondered that. No. Um, so in his first few appearances in, in, in the amazing fantasy comic, before he got his own his own comic series, Spider-Man was dealing with just kind of like regular Joes and muggers and stuff. Uh, when he gets his own, his own comic book, The Amazing Spider-Man, the very first issue, he clashes with his first masked villain, the Chameleon. Ooh. The Chameleon is a, a KGB agent or an ex-KGB agent with uh, the incredible ability to disguise himself as anyone um using like not not like a magic not a power he doesn't have superpowers he uses stuff yeah. but he's very good at Accoutrement, it if you will yeah Let, let's say latex skin masks or whatever i don't know um yeah. which he uses to steal state secrets in the very first issue the comedian disguises himself as spider-man and commits a bunch of crimes and acts of treason this is why the public distrust Spider-Man from the get-go. It's one of the first things that happens, and it's really important because it just carries on. From that point, the, the, all the media is against him. You can't shift anyone's you know opinion of him. Anyway, uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2, he goes up against his first villain with superpowers, the Vulture. Um, who is this this costume of wings and stuff that then fly um issue three it's dr octopus um a very very important uh villain issue four it's the sandman um issue five it's dr doom which is uh someone else's villain <laughs> and then issue six we get the lizard um so yeah, Lizard is the first mon- what you'd call a monster villain, and yeah. we don't get another monster villain then until the nineteen seventies when like Hammer Horror is popular again, and we get the supernatural creatures, the werewolf by night, 
uh, not well, yeah, well by Nye and Man Wolf and uh, Morbius as well, the Morbius. living vampire. Of course, and of course we got more the Morbius film. So I want I want to say look no, forward it's pushed, to it's been pushed back again. Really, <laughs> for the fifth or sixth time, yeah. <laughs> what do you yeah. think about it? Any normal set of circumstances, the pushback means the studio does not have any faith in the movie. Yeah. During pandemic, it's hard to tell. I don't know. I I think the pushbacks began before the pandemic, but I don't know. But did you see the trailer for it? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I imagine it'll be as good as the Venom movies, which is <laughs> a certain level. Yep. That's all we need to know. So, in the sewers, Kirk Connors changes back to his human form and staggers through the tunnels. The next day, George Stacy gives a press briefing blaming Spider-Man and issuing a warrant for his arrest. At school, Peter shows Gwen the dead spider that gave him his powers and talks about the lizard he fought on the bridge. Gwen says that it's not Peter's job to go after the lizard, and they kiss. Later at Oscorp, Peter looks for Kirk Connors in the deserted lab before finding the Doctor in a very dishevelled state. Parker asks the scientist about how a predator would track a reptile but as Kurt begins to explain food chains, he becomes irritated and asks Peter why he's so interested in reptiles. Kurt then tells Peter about the apparent new species of lizard in New York that, become, that can become aggressive if threatened, at which point Peter notices scales on the doctor's neck. Connor swiftly leaves the lab, telling Peter that wonderful things are coming, at which point Peter notices the lab mouse's glass cage smashed open from the inside and the former three-legged mouse, now muscled and reptilian, gorging on the carcass of another lab mouse. That mouse bit was a tad nasty, wasn't it? Yeah. It was a I bit guess, grim. Yeah. It was a bit horrible, because it's just like, it's not eating at the carcass of a mouse, it's the, just, just the back legs are left. And, and nothing doesn't, like, Peter just leaves and... It's been it's been doing it, and it's just a, it's a weird environment where no one's done anything for a while because Doctor Connors has given everyone the week off to be a lizard man. But yeah, but the thing is, uh, uh, what I what's extra dark for me when he says, uh, maybe it's just me reading into this when he says, "Oh, things are wonderful, things are coming," and then he sees that that's basically uh, the subtle way of saying, "Oh yeah, that's going to happen, but with people." I'm going to eat you. I'm going to eat you. And it's like, because the way it's been eaten is just, you think, oh, just nibbling at the sides and the entrails. No, he's properly ate him. Horrible. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, without a moment to lose, Peter goes straight to Captain Stacy's office and tells him he knows what's happening in regards to the reports of a dinosaur threatening Manhattan. When Peter tells George that Dr. Kirk Connors, his daughter's academic mentor, is transforming himself into a giant lizard, the police captain brushes Parker's claims as the ravings of an overactive imagination and has him escorted off the property. However, the next second, George decides to take a chance and asks his subordinates to find out everything they can on Dr. Kirk Connors. Outside, Peter passes a subway and notices lizards crawling over the signs and down the drain into the sewer. So in the stories from the 60s, what is Peter's relationship with Captain Stacy like? It sounds pretty good with Spider-Man, but what about Peter? Oh, it's not like this at all. Um, he, Captain Stacy takes an immediate liking to Peter Parker. Good. And openly encourages this, this growing relationship between Pete and, and his daughter Gwen and um, very much approves of their relationship. Good. And encourages Peter 
and uh, it, like in general in life in what he wants to do in life and gives some advice and stuff between the way he he encourages peter and the way he is an active supporter of spider-man during this several year period captain stacy becomes a surrogate father figure to peter um he's pretty much like the first person since uncle ben you yeah. know outside of his aunt that really supports him and cares for him um and it's almost like Pete gets much more out of this relationship than he does out of, you know, his romantic ones with whoever he's with, like with Gwen and stuff. And I don't mean that in a salacious way. I just mean, like, he's so burning with grief and kind of, like, loss after his uncle's death. It's um, it's very, very touching to have someone step in and kind of want to to encourage him and kind of... And you can see the life he could have, yeah. you know, if he gets, if, if he can just marry Gwen, if he can just, you know, he'll have a father-in-law, he'll have a wife, he'll have a man. Yeah, I no, I totally get that. He, he sounds like a very good figure. However, in the sewers, Connors has set up a makeshift laboratory and is documenting his scientific findings to camera. The formula has gone... Scientific findings. He's rambling like a lunatic. <laughs> hey, some t- one person's lunatic rambling is one another person. No, it's not. You're absolutely right. It is the ramblings of a... Lu- well, it's part scientific findings and part ramblings of a lunatic. Okay. You know, like the way he's half man, half lizard, you know. <laughs> yeah. The formula has gone beyond merely curing ills and has started to genetically perfect him. As this is happening, Spider-Man descends into the sewer to find the lizard using a series of web tripwires, as well as setting up a camera to snap the monster. After documenting, Kurt injects himself with more formula while waiting for the lizard in the sewer. One of the Spider-Man's trip sorry, one of Spider-Man's tripwires starts to vibrate. Peter gets ready for what might be approaching, carefully examining the vibrating wires for direction. But it turns out a few small lizards have climbed onto the webs and started migrating down a tunnel. Spider-Man starts following them and is pounced on by the lizard with Parker's camera snapping a shot of the scaly menace. Connors tells Spidey that he is getting stronger every day and goes to slash him with his ever-growing claws. The two plunge into the dank waters and fight, but Spider-Man is sucked into a current and washes up elsewhere. Meanwhile, the lizard finds Spider-Man's camera only to discover a property of Peter Parker label on it. Now... I just want to say that tripwire idea was brilliant. I really <laughs> loved that. That was so spider's cool. web. Yeah, yeah, spider. Well, it's a web, but it's not for trapping things in. It's for detecting movement elsewhere at a long distance. I just thought that was just superb. Uh, so spy. This is how the first fight with the lizard goes, right? With Spider Man. Oh no no no! They clash a couple of times, I think, before. Spider-Man finds out the tragic backstory that it's actually a guy called Kurt Connors. Mm. Um, they fight in a swamp. And Spider-Man's really out of his element because he doesn't have any buildings to kind of web swing around and off. And he's no, you know, without that urban environment, he's he's um, he's really struggling to find his feet. Um, he 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 does. He's amazed at how strong the lizard is. Mm. Uh, the lizard like knocks a tree down with his tail. Uh, he can. He's strong enough to rip Spider-Man's webs apart. 
Ooh. Now that did happen quite a lot in the early early issues, early stories. Like his Spidey's web wasn't really super super strong yet, so a strong enough bad guy or person could rip them apart. Spidey, when he's punching him, he's like he's amazed because it's like this guy's leathery skin is like an armor. Yeah. He says like he's like this is what it must be like punching a dinosaur. Yeah, um, he. Then Spider-Man kind of finds out about him and Bill. He gets an anti. He makes it. He uses Kirk on his notes to make an antidote. He then has to fight off uh, the lizard's army of alligators that he's got. Which, <laughs> if you think about it, Jesus, that's especially if you can't web swing over them because they're in the Everglades. Uh, I, I don't want to fight an army of alligators at all. I think that you don't have to be a lizard to be terrifying if you just have an army of al- if you just have an army yeah, of alligators. Yeah, that, that's, that's yeah. enough. Um, and then he tracks him down, and they fight. Apparently, in the Everglades, there's this abandoned Spanish fort, <laughs> and they fight in an abandoned Florida Spanish fort. And he has to do that thing Spider-Man does because he's got the serum, and he's got to get the lizard to drink it. So he does that thing like when you're trying to give medicine to a dog, oh, and you have to like grab the their head and like yeah, yeah. pull the mouth open and. And like hold his neck and pour it in and like rub the throat to make him swallow. I almost went. Oh, he almost went. You when he said, "Oh, he does that thing like when you give a dog medicine." I was going to say, "What? Just sneakily put it in his food?" <laughs> no, yeah. Once they're going to drink, or they won't. They won't. They won't take. Yeah, you have to hold their mouth open. Oh, they are so cute when they do that. Anyway, back to the film. Outside Gwen Stacy's room, an injured and unmasked Spider-Man climbs in and tells her about his fight with the lizard. After an interruption from her father, Gwen tends to Peter's slash wound and they start to kiss. Gwen confesses how worried she is with Peter putting himself in danger, even to rescue others. Peter mentions his father's research and how he now understands why Richard Parker wanted to keep his work secret. In his lair, a deranged Kirk Connors wrestles... In case of lizard people! In case of the (laughs) dreaded lizard... That would be great if he actually included that in scientific research. Of course, I fear for the safety of the the public if my research ever get loose because of lizard men! (laughs) In his lair, a deranged Kirk Connors wrestles with his delusions about saving humanity using his formula and decides that for his plans to succeed, he needs to kill Peter Parker. Well, uh, the secret identity has immediately been compromised in this movie. Does Kurt Connors know who Spider-Man is in the comics? N- not really, no. They, they, after after uh, Spider-Man saves him, Kurt Connors like, is human again and gets back his family. And he's like, I owe Spider-Man everything. I owe him my life and, and I owe him everything. And they become very close allies. Spidey is always dropping by to use Kurt Connors' lab when he needs to like do science stuff and doesn't have access to a lab or to whip up a new gadget or something yeah and, and he'll like he'll break in and do stuff and be like oh I'll leave a note for Doc Connors he won't he'll understand mm. um uh they I mean they they're, they're both part of secret wars together the whole time Spidey is trying to make sure um the lizard he saves the lizard and the lizard doesn't get roped up with all the bad guys and Dr. Connors is the first person to kind of tell Spider-Man, hey, that black alien suit of yours is super weird. It might be dangerous. <laughs> I know dangerous predators when I see them. I used to be one. Um, and whenever Connors lapses back into being the lizard, Spidey kind of always goes after him. But generally, I'd say no, he doesn't know his secret. Although, 
There was a story in 2004 called Lizard's Tale, which kind of rejigged the lizard a little bit, um, which we'll get to a bit of it. It's, it's to do with like there being this 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 kind of split personality between his lizard mind and his human mind and stuff. Mm. And during a part of this story, it's it it, it revealed that that Kirk Connors has always known has known from sorry has known for many many years that Peter Parker is Spider Man, but he just never said anything about it. However, that's weird. That has never been referenced since, and in subsequent stories, it 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 appears to be clear that Kirk Connors doesn't know. So it looks like maybe someone tried to change continuity in canon and say, yeah. "Ah, I reveal this. It's always been that way." And everyone else at Marvel kind of went, "We don't like that. Let's just never mention it again." So it, it's 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 up in the air really as to whether he he. Does or doesn't know. That, I would say he doesn't. Personally. That's interesting, considering the watertight continuity of Marvel. Oh, it's not. It's not. I wouldn't say it's watertight at all. But there's a guy yeah. whose literal job is to do that, and it makes. There me- was, yeah. I don't know whether he does have that job anymore, but mm. yeah. Okay, fair enough. So the next day at school, the lizard tunnels his way in through the bathroom and hunts for Peter. The very sight of him causing all students and staff to panic and evacuate the school. However, Peter doesn't back down and goes to fight this monster. The two fight as Connor smashes Parker through a science classroom, using the chemicals laying about to fashion crude explosives in the fight. Connors yells at Parker, telling him he's going to save everyone and to stop fighting him. But Parker dons his Spider-Man gear and fights back. Using his web shooters, the fight carries on into the hall. Spider-Man even manages to rip off the lizard's tail, but he immediately grows back a new one and gains the upper hand. But before he can do any serious damage, Gwen Stacy hits the lizard with one of the school's trophies. Distracted, the lizard advances on her, allowing Spider-Man to get back up and web the monster in place. With Connors stuck, Parker uses this moment to give Gwen to, get, to web Gwen through the window and to safety. As the police approach the school, the lizard breaks free of their bonds and they continue their fight. However, after being thrown through another classroom, Peter gets up to find no sign of the lizard. Searching the empty school, he finds a hole in the bathroom where he entered, along with a tattered Oscorp lab coat. Now, this is, a few people will agree with me, because they said this, and I immediately thought when I saw the lizard, he reminded me of the Goombas from the Super Mario Brothers movie. Yeah, complete lack of a nose. It's or a snout. It's really, really crap. It, it looked or the the whole movie. It looked. It just looked bad. It's You've got no nose. It looks like a human lizard hybrid, which is what they went for with the Goombas in that film. And also, yeah. also fun fact. Uh, I remember seeing the drawings for this, but I don't know if it was actually properly considered. But they were considering for the Jurassic Jurassic World film, uh, human dinosaur hybrids, and they looked exactly like that. Really? Yeah, I, I think super, it was an idea that went. They went, nah, don't do that. The 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 Super Mario Brothers movie mm. uh, explains the kind of other world of Goombas and stuff by saying it's a world where um, dinosaurs kept evolving, not people. So they evolved. They like apes didn't evolve into people. Dinosaurs evolved into people. Yeah, that's this parallel world where they eventually became dinosaur people that had like technology and stuff. It, it, the, reading it's the a behi- fun movie. It, reading the behind the scenes is even more fun about that is film. It? It's mental. Uh, also, the Stan Lee cameo here was a bit on the nose. Did you think it was a bit? How do you mean on the nose? It was like it, it, it was just so silly. 
It was it was a bit too silly for me. Oh, like he's he's oh, it's just he was just there and they fought behind him and then we moved on. Didn't really? Well, it was that kind of way where it was it was more about oh he. He, he could have got accidentally got hit but at the last moment and we're hearing what he's hearing which is the, the classical music blowing through and I'm thinking you could feel the vibrations through the floor of the crashing here we go here we go oh I'm sorry physics is not well it's a ruin it's a ruin off fun it just felt slagging off Stanley it felt like something that would have worked in a Spielberg movie Spielberg would have had that kind of humour in his films, you know, that kind of weird slapstick humour that he randomly pulls out. Don't stare I, at me like I, that. I absolutely do not, no, but I don't think we have time to debate Spielberg movies. <laughs> you didn't like that cameo. That's I thought it was as exactly the same as all his others, but sure. <laughs> That's fair enough. Okay, we'll agree to... I, I hate agreeing to disagree because it's the coward's way out, but we're against the clock. Uh, does Peter ever have to fight a bad guy in his own school? I mean, that's, that, I mean, that seems beyond... That seems like home turf. Like, there's, there's being attacked in his house and then there's being attacked at school. Yeah, but surely everyone would... It's a bad idea. Everyone looks at you and goes, hey, that, that guy's the same height and has the same voice as Peter Parker. Um, the, the Sandman, yeah. in his first appearance who's a criminal on the run who accidentally gets uh, irradiated and turned into sand uh, and it becomes a sand man. He decides That's when how he's on the run works, from, people. That's how radiation. On the run from the law to hide out at Peter Parker's high school. Um, <laughs> when he's there holding the like the <laughs> he holds the school hostage. He holds the principal hostage and tries to force the principal to give him a high school diploma because oh he never got one. God. <laughs> oh my God. And the principal refuses because he's got, uh, do you know what he's got? He's got too many, uh, too many principals. Um, oh God, get off. I hate this show. <laughs> so yeah, the, the Sandman fights Peter Parker in the school, tries to like get everyone out to school and stuff. Um, and I think, as we discussed in our Spider-Man three episode, he he shuts a locked door to keep the Sandman away from him. And the Sandman is like, "You fool! I shall turn into sand and seep under the <laughs> under the door." And as he does that in his sand form, Peter gets a uh, a Hoover and Hoovers him up. He vacuums him up all the sand, and then literally hands the vacuum bag to the cops and says, "I caught him. There he is." <laughs> <laughs> I vaguely remember you telling me this and I still think it's ridiculous. It's the best uh, it's the best conclusion to any superhero fight ever. <laughs> uh just brilliant. Okay, fair enough. While pursuing the lizard through the sewer, Peter calls Gwen and instructs her to go to Oscorp to access all the information on the cross species research that Connors was undertaking and see if she can produce an antidote. Further in the sewer, Peter comes across uh, Connors makeshift lab. And watches back the documentation videos Connor's made, uh, Connor's made, revealing his intentions. Using his formula with the previously mothballed Ganali device, Dr. Kirk Connors will infect the entire city of New York with this formula, mutating the entire population into lizards. Meanwhile, reports of the lizard sighting prompt George Stacy to board a police chopper to hunt down the abomination. In the streets of New York, a SWAT team find the lizard carrying a bag and open fire, seemingly killing the creature. But as they approach him, 
he, dr he dramatically heals and takes down a SWAT team while dispersing some of the formula, mutating the SWAT team into lizards. At Oscorp, Gwen starts uh, creating an antidote while Spider-Man alights from the sewer to the streets trying to find the lizard. The battle with the lizard goes south and Spider-Man tells Gwen to get out of Oscorp immediately as Connors is heading there right away to acquire and use the Ganali device but Gwen decides to get everybody else out of the building as well, triggering a fire alarm. I... I mean, turning the whole city of uh, its lizards is crazy sci-fi mad scientist plan. But before I ask you more about it, just another thing. When he launches that device on the SWAT team, they don't really seem to turn into lizards. They just sort of look like they're going to die of muta lizard-based mutations. I guess it just hasn't, like, like settled in yet, because it, right, took, it, it yeah. took him a while to kind of... Settle down, I guess. Yeah, okay, that makes it because I watched it. Went, is he just killing them? Is this maybe, maybe, maybe it's a different? I need a line of dialogue one way or the other, wouldn't I? I'd need him to say, "Ah, they'll be my lizard people soon." After or, they've stopped writhing for now, twenty-four hours, uh, you shall die of lizard tumors. Ah, uh, yeah, exactly. Tell you what, more lines of dialogue, more admin montages needed in this film. <laughs> so, turning the whole, you know. Obviously, that's a mad plan. Does the lizard ever try anything like this in the comics? Yes. Yeah. Um, so, uh, at one stage, Kurt Connors and Peter Parker both work for a research facility called Horizon Labs, mm. um, and they're working kind of side by side. Um, however, it, it, we, it's revealed to us, the audience, and no one else, that during the last kind of lizard-to-human transformation that Kurt Connors went through, when he was saved and rescued and turned back into a human it was merely his body that turned back into a human and the lizard mind stayed no. and he's been like he's he's this crazy he's desperately trying to pretend to be a human but he does not understand human stuff and it's it's very funny it's very funny That's... but it's also he's trying to i am a lizard i am a lizard my body is too warm why is everything so warm um <laughs> And he uh, he's trying to. So now you've got the lizard, the lizard's mind in Kurt Connor's body. Oh, that's brilliant. Trying to find a cure, and when he says a cure, he means lizard formula to turn him back into a lizard because he hates being a human. A cure for being a human is being a lizard. Mm. But his serums that he was that he, he keeps working on, they they don't have the right effect they they don't turn him into a lizard anymore they just perfect his body they regrow his arm oh. and he's like ah they'll know something's wrong if they see me with two arms so he gets this super you know this laser cutter and cuts his arm off throws it away yeah. to go out and pretend to be Kurt Connors again and he keeps trying altering the serum injecting himself growing back his arm cutting it off throwing it away tinkering with the serum taking it again up oh, regrowing the arm why won't it make me a lizard cutting it off throwing it he's just got like a bucket full of arms um there's a very funny scene where he's done this a so bucket often full of arms oh god he's done this so often whilst keeping up the pretense of being kurt connors that he steps out of his lab and one of his colleagues is like Dr. Connors, is everything all right? And he's like, everything is fine. Normal human day <laughs> as a warm-blooded human. How are you today? Very warm in your blood. And they're like, something's not right about you. And he's like, everything is fine. He goes, didn't, didn't it used to be your left arm that you're missing? <laughs> and he realizes in this haste, he's cut off the wrong arm. 
<laughs> that is super. Very funny mix-up. Anyway, he gets this serum and he's experimenting on other humans to try and to try and get it perfected. And it keeps turning everyone at Horizon Labs, all the other staff, into lizard people. Um, it, and everyone expects this to result in like an army of homicidal lizard creatures like the lizard that, that, that hate humanity. None of the other lizards demonstrate any hostility to humans. They're just themselves but a lizard. Weird. And Spider-Man is like, oh, wow. It's not the like. It's not the lizard stuff. That it's Connors is effed up. He's mentally <laughs> screwed up. He's got all this anger at the world for losing his arm and his family rejecting him and stuff like that. That's the problem, not the lizard thing. Because all the lizard scientists are like, we'll just work on a, a antidote. We're just, we're just, yeah, we look weird, but we're still, we're not going to kill people. Why would we? We're just lizards. Chill out. Like us. Yeah, they, they missed out his family in this film. So remember when we covered this on the Spider-Man cartoon, the inclusion of the family felt, you know, that added a bit more yes. to it. Yeah. That's where the pathos comes there from. There we go. Because he, I, he loses yeah. nothing in becoming a lizard. Because I, I, I probably said it back then, just reminded me of the Man Bat episode uh, of Batman, you know, uh, On Leather Wings. Great episode. Great opening episode yeah. of a cartoon. Similar thing. Um... What was I going to say? Uh, I'm so angry. I, I, I had something I wanted to say, and it's gone completely from my head. It was about him chopping off his arms. No. It'll just be a technical thing. You'll just be saying, well, how could he possibly do that with a... Da, 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 don't worry, really, Matt. I don't worry about it, mate. Oh, no, I remember now. It, it, <laughs> the, the, the whole thing of him pretending to be human reminded me of this meme that me and my wife really, really love. Where it's a stretched image of Benedict Cumberbatch's face, so it looks all weird and alien. And it, the text just says, Hello, my name is Benedict Cumberbatch. I'd like to. Stares at giant alien hand, star in human movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's just really silly. Anyway, anyway. Spider Man races across the city to Oscorp, coming across uh, George Stacy and another SWAT team who open fire on him, causing him to fall to the street below and onto a moving taxi. Injured, Spider Man is unable to get up as a SWAT team repels from the helicopter and arrests him. George Stacy triumphantly walks up to the hero, removing his mask to reveal who he really is. But before the. Ah! I know. It's a bit of a clumsy bit, this. But before the police captain can finally see who the mysterious vigilante really is, Peter suddenly gets up and fights his way out while keeping his face hidden and webbing the SWAT team's faces. However, George gets the drop on him and is shocked when Peter turns around to finally reveal his true identity. Parker tells him that he needs to get to Oscorp as his daughter, not to mention the entire city, is in grave danger. As Spider-Man escapes, George tells tells his team to hold fire. However, at Oscorp, the lizard has climbed up the side of the building and smashed his way into the labs. It's a bit odd, this that that bit, wasn't it? Like, ah, just take off his mask and see who he is. And he's like, ha you can't see me because I'm hiding it behind my hiding my face behind my arm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, stuff like that does happen in Spider-Man comics, I guess. I mean, it's, I, I, I'm, I'm fairly certain I've seen similar stuff where it's hidden by shadow yeah. and then he webs someone's eyes. I don't mind that too much. I don't like the bit immediately after that where his identity is revealed for the third time in this movie. But, you know. I mean, it's it's worse than Bruce Wayne 
like revealing the Batcave to a journalist he's just had sex with. <laughs> he doesn't know what human relationships are meant to be. I know. He's a stupid orphan boy. He, he is quite. Or, 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 one, I thought he was like, She let me put my pee pee inside her. I'll tell her everything. Here's my special cave. Are we married now? <laughs> Chill out, Bruce. Jesus. Yeah. I can't. I, I can't wait till we get onto that. I'm so looking forward to that. Anyway, uh, the third person shots uh, when he's flying through the Spider-Man third person shots when he's actually you see his hand from his point of view. Uh, it was quite good. I liked that. It felt like a video game. I like it when stuff feels like a video game because <laughs> I like video games. I didn't like it because it felt like a video game, and I I'm here to watch a movie, guys. Come on. As we said before, opposite no, I didn't ends mind of the gig I didn't, spectrum. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't. It is. You know, it didn't do much. Uh, it was okay. Yeah, it was fine. It was a shot I didn't think we'd seen before, which was good. Yeah, that, that's so. That, yes, instead of going along the 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 highway on the dirt road. It felt like they were trying to do something that the last film didn't do, and that's fine. That's fine. So we get, as you said, we, we get our third time, third time in this movie, that the secret identity is compromised here with all the lead-up about hiding his face. Just imagine that, the lead-up of hiding his face, so no, and then it's like three times it happens. In the original stories, does Spider-Man ever reveal who he is to Captain Stacy? No, but... Captain Spacey uh, works it out. Yeah, uh, he has his suspicions for a long time. He's a gumshoe, been... isn't he? Exactly that. Yeah, um, there is a period of time where, for one reason or another, quite a few people start to suspect Spider-Man and Peter Parker of being overlapping in the same place at the same time. That kind of business. Um, and so Peter gets his friend, the Prowler, who you'll know from Spider-Verse. Ah, yes. Um, he gets the Prowler, who he helped reform himself, to come and impersonate Spider-Man and show up where Peter Parker is so that it would be like, it can't possibly be, because look, there's Spider-Man. And the Prowler's got all these kind of tech and gadgets that let him look like he's kind of maybe climbing a wall and jumping around and stuff. But Captain Spacey sees right through that, um, and he does know. He does know, but he doesn't tell Peter or say anything um, for a long time. A long time. He keeps the secret. Good. Man. The secret, and he keeps the secret, and he keeps it secret that he knows the secret. Yeah. Secret within a secret. Gotcha. Gotcha. As the lizard breaks into the building, Gwen retrieves the Ganali device and hides in a storage closet. Suddenly. The lizard breaks into the closet where Gwen is hiding, and while Glenn attacks the monster with a blowtorch, the lizard shrugs off the attack and effortlessly takes the Ganali device and walks away. After a tense few seconds, she peers out to make sure she is in the clear and is alerted by the antidote machine that he has completed production. Halfway across town, Spider-Man sees the Oscorp building in the distance, realising he's got a lot of swinging to do. At the same time, most of New York City is evacuated in light of the potential threat. As Spider-Man frantically climbs a New York a news helicopter, sorry, as Spider-Man frantically climbs, comma, a news helicopter reports on his current location and that he's clearly heading to the Oscorp building, catching the attention of the father of the child he rescued on the Williamsburg Bridge. The father just so happens 
to be a construction worker and tells his workmates to call in the favour with the nearby crane operators. As Spider-Man struggles to make it across the chaos of the evacuating city, the father makes a few urgent radio calls and instructs all crane operators between Spider-Man and Oscorp a clear route to web swing. With this new route in place, Spider-Man almost effortlessly swings through the city. Okay, this bit... This, this this felt like they were trying... As much as they were trying to avoid doing anything that the Raimi films did, this felt like they tried too hard to do the whole spirit of New York. 100%. It was yeah. just really weird. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I actually like it as a visual, and I think it would work a lot better in a comic book because yes. I think you can... In game. Spider-Man, yeah. they occasionally... No, in a comic book... <laughs> Okay. In Spider-Man, they do occasionally have these things of, you will find in modern years, there are sections of people who are like, uh, like New Yorkers who treat Spider-Man like a New Yorker, finally. Like one of their own, right? Mm. So there will be things where, but come on guys, we've got to help Spider-Man out with like a little thing. And I could see it, but there's not, there's not the context of it here. I just feel it's really, I don't know. It feels, I don't know what it feels. It feels a, a little gratuitous forced forced yeah yeah incredibly yeah. forced so at the Oscorp building Spider-Man arrives in time to see the lizard scaling the building's antenna tower outside Gwen runs out and is greeted by her father who assures her he understands Spider-Man not being the bad guy Gwen hands her dad the antidote as he goes inside to help Spidey at the roof of Oscorp the lizard sets up his device, but Spider-Man swings in and the two battle once again. After rupturing some liquid nitrogen tanks, the lizard is able to grasp Spider-Man by the wrists and destroys his web launchers before removing his mask and taunting him. But before the lizard can continue, Captain Stacy enters the roof and shoots the hose off the liquid nitrogen tank, allowing Parker to use it against the lizard. As the lizard starts to freeze, George moves in and starts blasting away at his frozen limbs with his shotgun before handing the antidote over to Peter, telling him he's got the lizard handled. So George kind of redeems himself here. You expect him to be the J. Jonah Jameson type character, but in the end, ah, he's got a bit of a heart. I guess. Oh yeah, yeah. Def- I mean, yeah. Common good and all that. Yeah, no. He's not a JJ. He's not. He's not uh, the J Jonah kind of thing. He's he served a little bit of that, didn't he, earlier on? But yeah. So does uh, does Captain Stacy uh, ever help Spidey fight bad guys like this in the comic books? Because with his age and the walking stick, I can't imagine him, you know, unloading a twelve gauge into a lizard. Yeah, no, no, he doesn't really because of the he's not young and dynamic in the comic books. He's involved in in um, in several stories, you know, a, a quite a complicated plot involving the Kingpin and Norman Osborn and stuff. Mm. But he's not on the kind of the action side of it. Mm. Um, so no, not really. No. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Hurrying as fast as he can with only 30 seconds to go, Spider-Man scales the antenna, looking for the device. However, the lizard recovers, despite George's shotgun blasts, and swiftly eviscerates him before climbing after Peter. As the lizard makes one great leap towards Peter, Parker is able to quickly swap the formula in the Ganali device with the antidote, seconds before it disperses, and he is grabbed by Connors. Kurt watches in false triumph as the device fires up in the air and disperses across the entire city, bathing New York in a bright blue cloud. 
Connor's expression turns from triumph to shock as he realises the cloud is the antidote and he starts to regress back into his human form. Losing grip of Spider-Man, Connor falls, smashing parts of the antenna along the way, causing it to collapse off the side of the building. Spider-Man plunges to his death, but is suddenly saved by the reptile arm of Dr. Kirk Connors, which starts to disintegrate, forcing Connors to swap arms. Climbing back up, Spider-Man looks on as Kirk tearfully watches his new arm crumble away. With a shock, Connors suddenly remembers Captain Stacy and Parker rushes to find him. Parker comes across the still-conscious George Stacy and tries to comfort him. George tells Peter that he was wrong about him and that the city needs Spider-Man, handing back his mask. Knowing that people will come after Peter and everyone he loves from being Spider-Man, George makes Parker promise him one thing, leave Gwen out of this before succumbing to his wounds. That's some real tragedy here. I will not die a monster! Felt like the end, you know, the end of Doctor Octopus and Spider Man 2, where the monster is like, I will not die, no, a monster, monster. Yeah. I will save everyone. Yeah, it was like that, that fight, but it wasn't It wasn't as big a redemption. No, he just woke up and went, Oh, oh I slashed a guy's tummy open. You better, yeah. you better go and see it. Yeah. Does something like this happen to Captain Stacy in the comics? In, yeah, in, in 1970, um, Captain Stacy's kind of called into action by the NYPD and all, you know, they need all hands on deck. Dr. Octopus is on the rampage. Um, he's, Spider-Man's battling him high above the city on a rooftop. Mm. A crowd is gathered to watch. Um, and during the fight, um, chunks, Dr. Octopus is knocking chunks of concrete loose from the roof. And these big chunks of concrete begin to rain down on the spectators. Mm. And there was a small child stood right underneath this the fallen masonry. And Captain Stacy kind of like hurls himself. And his head is like, please, God, let me be quick enough. Mm. And he shoves the little boy out the way. And all this kind of falling concrete lands on him and, 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 and kills him. Oh, wow. Um, and... Mm. Spider-Man sees this happen and basically abandons the fight, let Dr. Octopus go and runs off to try and help mm. Captain Stacy. Um, his final words, he reveals that he knows Spider-Man is Peter Parker, that he's known for a long time, mm. that he's really proud of him. Aww. But instead of what we see in the movie, he doesn't tell Peter to leave his daughter alone. He says, be good to her, son, be good to her. She loves you very much. Oh, and then much. he and then he dies. That's a and lot nicer. His death was a watershed moment in Marvel Comics. I mean, it's a turning point in the Spider Man stories, the Spider Man saga really. It signals to readers that ch- permanent changes could happen. Mm. Like the supporting cast is not safe. Not necessarily always from death, but Permanent changes can come in. This is not a sitcom. Everything will not reset at the end of the story. You know, big, big changes could be afoot in Spider-Man. Absolutely. As Kurt Connors is taken away into custody, the antidote reverses the mutations he unleashed earlier. A very beaten-up Peter Parker returns home to Aunt May with the eggs she asked him to get from the shop and they hug. As the NYPD mourns George Stacy, Peter is visited by Gwen who tearfully questions why Peter wasn't at the funeral. Parker is overcome with emotion and tells Gwen, as per her father's wishes, that he can't see her anymore, prompting Gwen to turn and leave. 
but not before Gwen correctly guesses that her father told him to stay away so that she would be safe. After closing the door, Aunt May asks who Gwen was and why Peter hasn't asked her out. She assures him that he's indeed good enough for her. In his room, Peter listens to an old voice message from Uncle Ben, telling him he's destined for greatness and he loves him. The next day at school, Flash playfully joshes with Peter while Gwen blanks him. Running late to his lesson, Peter sits behind Gwen and apologises to his teacher, promising it won't happen again. His teacher responds with, Don't make promises you can't keep, Peter, with Peter whispering in response to Gwen, but those are the best kind, hinting at the possibility of them repairing their relationship, making Gwen smile. With the city now safe once again, Spider-Man swings into action after another low-life criminal on the run after after another low-life criminal on the run from the law. Very uh, one thing that, you, that I didn't really expect or really think about uh, until I saw this a second time. Uh, very surprised. Flash Thompson gets some degree of character development here. I thought weirdly about this, and I thought mm. it was, and I don't know. This is just me looking too hard into it, but it kind of by seeing him again at the end, it was kind of showing. To me, it felt like that what we saw from Flash wasn't like evil. It was just like pettiness. we've just we've 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 had we 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 had like Peter in this kind of very highly charged, intense world of high school, encountering what looks to be some badness from a bad guy, mm. and then he goes out into the actual big world, the real world, and 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 comes across actual evil and actual bad guys. Yeah. And then he kind of comes back to like where you know his high school life and and it's this kind of thing of uh, that that wasn't really a bad guy. Yeah. He was just like a, a you know another mixed up kid. Um I think yeah. I, I think it's a good point. I think it's a good little thing they did there. You know, yeah. It's not great, but it's a nice little oh look, look, this guy's actually got a progressively Different. They were probably also trying to set the character up to become part of Peter's group in maybe a future sequel or something. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, in the comics, what happens to Gwen and Peter after Captain Stacy dies? Gwen uh, completely blames Spider-Man for her father's death. Oh, dear. She starts buying into all the negative publicity, uh, media attention about Spider-Man, how reckless and dangerous he is because it's the fight like it wasn't that dr octopus used his claw his, mm. his tentacles to kill captain stacy it was that during the fight a whole bunch of like literal collateral like collateral damage the masonry fell off a building and killed someone um so it's yeah his recklessness and his dangerousness and you, you know you it was dr octopus's arm but that fight was in a bad spot and someone died so it 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 means that Peter cannot reveal his secret to her, which he was gearing up to do. Wow. Which means he has to call off his plans to propose to Gwen. Oh, boy. Which he's gearing up to do. He had, a, he had a ring and he'd been, you know, it was for several issues, it was he was getting up to the stage of doing it, but things kept getting in the way. Uh, Gwen, very distraught and grief-stricken and angry, she tells Pete that she's leaving New York to go and live in Europe. We, the reader, get to see her in a monologue and her thoughts on how she wishes Peter would finally propose to her and convince her to stay, but he cannot. He just, this, this guilt 
over what happened to Captain Stacy, who he grieves for. Is it's another loss of a father. He calls like he calls him like the best friend he ever had when he done when he's when he dies and he's but he shivers shame about it as well not being able to tell her his secret and so he can't propose and so she she leaves she leaves new york she leaves the the comic book for a bit and off she goes to europe wow um and uh and that's yeah he has a despite his final words being different to the movie it does have like um the the same kind of impact on the, on the relationship of Peter Parker and, and Gwen Stacy. Wow. So finally, in a mid credit scene, an incarcerated Connors speaks with the man in the shadows who asks if Peter knows the truth about his father. Connors do not, does not know and demands that Peter be left alone before the man disappears. I guess that, yeah, they're trying to do an MCU thing, aren't they, and set up uh, not only a sequel, but, but hint at the next thing they're going to do i i mean i got that and then i actually looked at wikipedia because the wikipedia page had the link when it said man in the shadows and i went oh that's what that guy does okay that's what that guy does that's what the man in the shadows that's what that's why he's there that's what he does later the stuff we've talked about before in the podcast what i'm completely lost well i looked at the wikipedia page he has something to do with forming the sinister six right okay that's what I. That's 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 that. Why I mean, it doesn't happen. Like it never happens in the co- in the movie, so it doesn't really matter, does it? Yeah, but I can see what they're trying to do there. They're trying to hint at, oh, yes, we're going to do that, you know? Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely. Uh, which brings us to a close on uh, the Amazing Spider-Man. Thank you, Will, as ever, for taking us so ably through that movie, the Amazing Spider-Man. Love to find out your your takeaways and your final thoughts on on this movie. Well, what, what have what what have we said that hasn't been said? It's a different tone to the other Spider Man films. It does feel like it's attempt this sort of soft, grittyish reboot. Let's do it a little bit darker, not as fun and, and as exciting as the Raimi films. So we know it's like it, not the same. It's 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 darker as well because it just feels like it's in the shadow of the Raimi films. And also, I just didn't really like Andrew Garfield in this. It's a shame because I hear he's a good actor. But this is the only thing I've ever seen him in. And I'm there going, no, I don't like him. I don't want to see anything else he's in. I'm not interested. Please take him away from me. But everyone else around him, I felt, actually did a good job of acting. Okay, you could have a look at Reese fans and think, yeah, there's a bit of room for improvement. But Sally Field... Uh, Martin Sheen, Emma Stone, all good. Dennis Leary, eh, he, he wasn't very likable, but I think that's down to Dennis Leary more than anything. Uh, the film really does miss what Sam Raimi got perfectly spot on with Spider-Man, and that is heart and humour. There is none of that here. There is no heart, there is no humour. It's a very po-faced film <laughs> that just seems to hint at stuff that is stuff that's already happened in another film. Ha! Yeah. No matter what this film does, though, it, as we said, you know, it, it, it knows it's living in the shadow of the Raimi films, and it clearly knows it. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to lie about it. It knows it. And the whole mystery surrounding Peter Parker's parents just, I don't know, you might disagree. I just didn't think it had much of a payoff. It was this thing in the background that didn't really get pursued and sort of got cut off the moment there was another danger, and it felt like there was no real conclusion. Uh, all in all, it's all right. If 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 the uh, Raimi films didn't exist, 
it would be a solid 7 out of 10. <laughs> Fantastic. And um, from what we've discussed, the comic book trivia, what would be your favourite slice of, uh, of of comic book trivia about Spider-Man that we've delved into in this episode? Well, there's two bits here. I'll go with the serious one, then the funny one. The serious one is everything about George Stacy in the comics sounds like a perfectly wonderful human being with a great yeah. relationship, with a great character arc. Everything about him sounds brilliant. And, I can, and, and all I can picture is James Cromwell. That's yeah, absolutely perfect. I like that. But the other one, we might have mentioned it because we talked about it in another episode, is uh, Dr. Uh, Kirk Connors, uh, or as the lizard, uh, repeatedly cutting off his arms and keeping them in a bucket. <laughs> I just think that's that's hilarious. I mean, you reach that point when you're writing a character that ridiculous, you go, might as well just do that. And it's like, yeah, but it, ma- it sounds ridiculous on the surface, but it makes sense at the time, but it's still funny. Brilliant, yeah. brilliant. The reading list for this episode, uh, you can check out The Death of Captain Stacy. There's a few collections. There's an epic collection, um, and there's a few other kind of... Um, shorter collections which uh i think there's also one called the death of the stacys which has something else to talk about as well which we'll mm. we'll discuss when we get to the amazing spider-man 2 um th- but those you know bear in mind when you if you if you want to get those original ones they are 1960s stories they're written with a vernacular dialogue and pacing that will seem very unsophisticated to you i highly recommend ultimate spider-man by Brian Michael Bendis, uh, Mark Bagley. It is the or Bagley. It's the year two thousand kind of reboot of Spider Man that they took so they took so much from for this movie. Um, it's very very well written. You can, anyone can read that. The dialogue and the pacing all flows brilliantly. A great retelling of the Spider Man story and updating of it. For Gwen Stacy, I really think the kind of the best Gwen Stacy story is a a, a comic book called Spider Man Blue by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, the creative team behind something you might have heard of called uh, Batman The Long Halloween. They did a series of really great Marvel stories, kind of set in Marvel's past. Um, And this features a story being narrated by Peter Parker in the modern day, recording a story on a tape recorder about um, the the love of his life who died, Gwen Stacy, and he tells this story about his college years, um, and his dear friends, Flash Thompson and Harry Osborne and Gwen and Mary Jane, and it it kind of is almost coming in and out of some classic stories that that happened, um, but the fights aren't really important. It's more about the emotions and it's more about the the characters all being together, and it's very much about what. Gwen Stacy meant to Peter Parker. Really nice, touching story. Please, 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 please do not use Amazon as they're really, really bad for the comic book industry. You can use a web search. You can go to your local comic book store. You can search if there's one near you, or you can use an online shop that will take your money on PayPal and post the comics to you, just like Amazon will. But they'll be much better for the comic book industry. Um, our next episode, as we already dropped a hint at will be Deadpool 2 if you want to watch along and join us for that one. We're going to be returning to Wade Wilson. We're going to be looking at Cable for the very first time. Deadpool 2, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Marvel vs. Marvel. Please take the time to like us, rate, subscribe, leave us a five-star review. Hey, why not recommend us to a friend that loves Marvel? 
Join us next time as we take a look at Deadpool 2 and find us on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel. Marvel.